Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, February 4th, and this is episode 46 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, the Sultan Asaki. What's up, Josh? Uh, well, I must be living in Maelstrom because we just got a frozen overlay over here. <laughs> and Skipper and now, Ben. And now it's what's worse the than like? it was before. <laughs> what's, what's the weather like in your neck of the woods, Ben? We lost it's Ben. Gr- <laughs> no, I, cracking a beer. Everything's good. I just can't wait to hear what these dumbasses sent us this time in uh, this question mailbag. It's always so much fun. Yes, yes. I don't, I don't appreciate this hostility toward our listeners. Uh, we are doing a listener question show, but we have a couple of uh, items to get out of the way first. And I say that uh, not intending to rush uh, Sir Benjamin, but you have a trip upcoming to Universal and only Universal. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but in <laughs> September of 2020, Viama.com went the way of the Dodo, so I really have no idea how you could possibly even plan a trip. Oh, God. Well, first I call it kayak. Okay. Uh, well, Viama is my... the uh, international arm. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> uh, well, yes, to, to, to circle back on your point there, I, I do have a trip coming up in March, uh, and kind of an impromptu trip. Uh, we were not planning on doing this trip, like, at all. Uh, we had a cruise booked out of Miami at that time, and there's this like Hold pandemic on. or something uh, going on. Council now for something that would be premeditated. It is February. The trip is in March. I would consider that planning. Would you? Absolutely. Okay. You know, and, and uh, premeditation could take place in the blink of an eye. So this okay. is uh, you're definitely going down, buddy. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> Don't drop no, we- the soap collection. We, we had our, uh, you know, I can't remember if it was 30 or 45 day window where we had to pay off our cruise. And at that point, uh, you know, there was like a separate strand of the, uh, the, 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 the virus going around and questions going on and people getting left at the docks or quarantined to their, uh, their rooms for their entire trip of their stay on a cruise ship or That's sometimes. That's the thing that I would hate. I mean, the, I'm probably willing to take the cruise risk, but I just don't yep. want to be stuck in my room for a week. Well, we had a we had a double whammy, I felt, because especially at that time, they seem to have gotten a little bit better right now, but there's still some pretty questionable stuff if you follow along with anybody that's going on cur- uh, cruises currently. But with Nor- we were going on a Norwegian cruise, and some part of their deal is you have to go and you have to test when you get to the port. Uh, and if you are clear you get on the boat and if you're not they send you home Mm -hmm. uh and the thing is if it was just myself and lisa or just our family you know the four of us going i take that chance but there were between her parent her mom and my parents and other family going there were there were a large group of us and their rule was if any one of you test positive the entire uh party can't go on the cruise and that's just too much risk for me, especially oh, if we're flying from Dallas to Miami. Uh, even though things are getting a lot better, it seems right now, numbers are going down. People are still testing positive. People are still testing positive while they're on the cruise ship where you pretty much lose all rights to whatever you want to do when you're there. You're at the mercy of them quarantining uh, you to your room, and, and that's just a miserable what, freaking experience. What, what kind of fuckwad would you have to be to even subject yourself to that right now? Yeah. yeah I, so, I mean, cruises I don't are understand it at all. For that, for that purpose. It's, so just, it was, it's not yeah, worth it. It was super easy. At that point, we were like, we we could cancel at that certain point and get a full refund. And minutes later, we were booking our flights to uh, Orlando <laughs> and decided to go to Universal for, uh, we're going to be there for five days, three days in the parks. Uh Universal only, and you know, at least this way, if we one of us, you know, gets sick or test positive uh, on this trip, we can all just 
go ride supercharged over and over since nobody's there. We won't be uh, in risk of getting anybody else sick. We'll just sit on the party bus and uh, ride out our quarantine that way. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we are we we have our summer trip to Disney coming up. Uh, and this again is my large family trip where we were not planning to go to Universal. So this just kind of fit in perfect. All, all of us and our family. We have the itch to get on Velocicoaster more than anything right now, and uh, we're going to get to scratch it here in a, a few weeks. Well, uh, if you're going next summer, is that a situation where we can invite Josh, or are we just still mad about him? I'm already, I've am already i already invited myself, but are we still mad at him for not inviting us to Dollywood? Uh, he's allowed to go, but he has to admit that Epcot Forever is better than Illuminations. Uh <laughs> That's that's the requirement I have. So if he if he never says that publicly, if he doesn't publicly say that on the show, then he's not invited. Yeah, this isn't going to happen, buddy. <laughs> I'll, ride yeah, Vel- no, I'll ride Velocicoaster by myself without you. It is a public place. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're super jacked to get on Velocicoaster. I mean, that, that's that's the primary thing I want to do. It's it's the only new attraction, new thing uh, that'll be there since our last trip. Uh, last time we were there, the Bourne Stuntacular had just opened, so we did get to see that last time. Uh, I've watched the special on Peacock, uh, the, on the making of Velocicoaster, and you know everybody that we've talked to, all of our friends that are living out there, other podcast uh, hosts that have done reviews, and you know nobody's done anything but just rave about how great this attraction is. So, uh, you know. I'm, I'm excited to see it really kind of put it to the test of our, you know, the claim that we've kind of made on the show that that corner of Islands of Adventure that has Velocicoaster, Hagrid's and Forbidden Journey, you know, this, this will be my time to test to see if that is really the best section of a theme park anywhere in Orlando. From a thrill standpoint, I think it's <laughs> sight unseen. You can probably make that case, but yep. it is. Uh, something that I'm looking forward to riding. I don't know when I will be able to ride it, hopefully this year, but uh, we shall see. I am definitely envious of the trip. Uh, any other things you're looking to do as part of that trip, be they restaurants, be they anything else that will be new to you, anything like that? Uh, there's really nothing too new. The thing that I look forward to this, though, this is the third time that we've done a Universal-only trip where I just like that we're able to hit both of those parks at a very – leisurely pace yeah every time we you, you we're still that family that does disney first and tries to work in universal which when you do that you book maybe one maybe two days over there and you're just trying to fly through everything as fast as you can because there's so much to do having three days and not having to worry about disney being right there uh we're not staying at a universal resort but we're literally right across the street at a, a place that we've stayed before that you can just walk over to uh being able to do that and, and actually, the nice thing is having we're getting there early enough on our first day and leaving late enough on our last day that we'll be able to experience City Walk, go to some restaurants out there. Our last day, we do plan to head over to Disney Springs uh, to, you know, eat at Chicken Guy, the best restaurant in Orlando. <laughs> and uh, but that's that's the thing I like the most is just totally being able to sit back, relax and take those parks in and just appreciate everything about it. There, there's the. We don't talk enough about the theming, I feel, about either one of those parks. Uh, again, because we are we don't spend as much time there. We're all just trying to move through everything so quick. But just sitting back and, and, and watching, looking at the, 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 the theming around you, I love the you know entertainment that's out on the streets, the Blues Brothers, and the, the different acts that they have just roaming. Some of the stuff that Disney's taken away over the years, Universal has not taken away. Uh and so it still kind of gives you that feel of some of the stuff that we miss that we don't get anymore uh, when we're when we're down the road. 
I definitely enjoy every trip that I make over to Universal. I've said it time and time again, and this isn't to uh, to shit on a, a five-day trip to, to Universal, though. I think until they start putting things out there that are geared towards families with younger kids, they yep. won't be a true competitor to Disney in the, in the way that we view things. Now, I say that, and we have listener questions that talk about this very thing, so I won't get too deep into it, but yep. do you have any other trip planning comments or things that you uh, anticipate as part of this trip? Or are we good uh, to move on? Well, I think we're probably good to move on. We uh, Just highlighting one point you said there, my, my youngest is 10 years old now, and she loves thrill rides more than anybody in our family. So this now really works to where we can appreciate oh, this sure. kind of trip. So, uh, you know, she's she's like giving me her list already of like Velocicoaster is the first thing we're doing, then Rip Ride Rocket right after that. And, uh, you know, every coaster that you can put, she wants the Hulk right after that. So sure. we're now in that phase where this is a fantastic That's a perfect uh, vacation destination. Universal. So, uh, you know, that, that'll that that'll work. And the other thing I was going to say, I think I put a note on our Facebook group, but, you know, yeah, follow us on Facebook. I'm going to be active on that page uh, while we're out there. We'll have some fun and uh, I'll keep you guys entertained while we're messing around. And, you know, Tim and Josh are probably, like, stuck under another snow, snowstorm at that point, and I'll be in uh, fantastic Orlando having some fun on some thrill rides. I'll probably be doing an 80-hour work week. Uh, probably. With, with, uh, I think 10 is perhaps even the perfect age to go to Universal. I think there are other – as you get older, it is also very good to go to Universal. But at 10, you still have that kind of wide-eyed approach to things, yet you're tall enough to experience pretty much everything that they have to offer. So yep. um, that should be great. That should be great. It'll be fun. So uh, on our last show, which was not too long ago, we're, uh, we we're sandwiched in the shit the, out of these people with all these shows that we're putting out there. So you guys, oh, absolutely, this ain't the norm. Settle down. No, no, there's, there's probably <laughs> going to be a six month gap. So um, leading up to uh, that show, we had talked privately about doing a contest, and uh, we neglected to mention it on the main body of the show. So we threw it in at the end. Uh, that contest for those people that stick around to the end of the show is win a box of shit from Tim's basement. Uh, we had several contest submissions. Your task was to give us a top five list. We didn't really give you much else to go on beyond mm-hmm. that. And uh, this was inspired by... Fortunately, uh, our, listen- our listeners understood what a list is much better than you did, apparently. <laughs> now, in, uh, in my own credit here, I gave them a little bit more guidance than you gave me. So, uh, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but since, Josh, I think because this was inspired by you, the way that we're going to do this is... Uh, initially, we were thinking we'd just have one winner, but there is a lot of shit in my basement, so we could potentially have as many as three winners. Uh, we have each selected our favorite list, and I think we should just take turns saying what those lists are. So if your name gets mentioned uh, as the favorite by any of us, you will get some sort of prize. And after the release of this show, uh, I will reach out to you and we can arrange uh, mailing that prize to you. So, Josh, why don't you kick it off with the list that you liked the best? Sure. So my favorite came from Ben Bowers, which is the top five Marty called hosts. Number one (laughs) is blank. (laughs) Number two is blank. Now, so far, I don't think anyone can argue with the quality of these answers. He's Um, spot on. The first actual populated number on the list is three, Josh, which also is empirically correct. Uh, Then four, Ben. And five, Derek Bergen. Right. And, but just to, 
to to sort of go a little inside baseball and share my decision making philosophy on this. I just think it would be hilarious that the guy who you know intentionally as a slight cuts Tim off the list is now going to mail shit to his house. Yeah, I think that's funny. So your, your number one fan's gonna have a box of your shit. If you think he doesn't, if uh, Ben, if you think you hate Tim now, just wait till you see what's in this box. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I got a sneak peek, and I'm, I've got to see my counselor. Uh, there is some nightmare fuel that is going here, and I do think that anybody that is a recipient of any of these boxes, uh, I promise there's no arsenic in it. But I do think it is a good idea for you to do a, a unboxing video because there should be some entertainment as a result of that. And actually, full disclosure, Ben, uh, Ben Bowers, that is, some of the content that would be going to you, uh, Derek and I, I think early in the pandemic, exchange gifts of crap of just Disney and Universal stuff that we happen <laughs> to have around our house. So you may be the benefactor of some stuff that was indirectly sent from Derek Bergen, who has never appeared on the Marty Call podcast. I think exchanging <laughs> gifts of crap is also what uh, Bergen and Tim referred to as downloading each other's podcasts. Also true. Also true. <laughs> do do the winners need to like Lysol the box when it gets there or let it sit on the front porch for like f- seven days? Like we used, uh, you know, we were recommended answer, to it the first of the pandemic. Council recommends not answering that. All you guaranteed was no arsenic. Beyond that, it's the, they're assuming the risk. <laughs> I'm licking everything for starters. <laughs> Uh, Ben, uh, That's not what, what was, your wife tells me. <laughs> what was your go-to? <laughs> I mean, this was a really tough choice for me. Uh, when I was like actually trying to give some effort and you know uh, thoughtfulness to picking the winner, but then I uh, I just went for the person that sucked up the best. So Jonathan Heigl with his top five <laughs> Skipper Ben post-show sing-alongs is uh, my winner with uh, number five. Uh, my rendition of "Take a Look Through My Eyes" by Phil Collins. Uh, number four, my basketball uh, uh, sing-along for all of our NBA lovers out there. Number three was Love Shack. Two was Lose Yourself. And one was whatever the hell song it was from Hamilton. And the reason I picked this winner is not just because they sucked up to me, but because it took me like 45 minutes to sing that, uh, record that Hamilton song because (laughs) I kept cracking up. I couldn't get through it. And, you know, Tim and Josh are like, end of the show hey you know send me send me the files i'll talk to you guys later and then i i hop on and my dumb ass will spend 30 <laughs> 45 minutes recording the sing-along uh to go with it so i appreciate that jonathan uh sticks around and listens to the songs <laughs> and I, I appreciate his submission so jonathan heigl congratulations see uh, I, 30, I, 30 I, to I, 45 I, minutes cry me a river how long do i take <laughs> to edit this thing that's true well, well, you edit one. Yes, I do. It, isn't your average editing time like one fiftieth of a of a trip report of yours? Usually, roughly? actually, no. I would say whatever the show time, consider it three to four fold uh, from an editing standpoint. Uh, yeah. I thought you went to the Chris Wakefield School of uh, Podcast <laughs> Editing, and you just wing it and just upload whatever we record. <laughs> Not so much. Get lawnmower drives through the recording studio halfway through. It's fine. Leave it ahead. <laughs> Insert song here. So oh, a dump truck full of bells just crashed into my microphone, but I, I don't think anyone will notice. <laughs> oh, is that a wind tunnel outside? Let's go. <laughs> I'm going to put a sound effect in here, guys. Lay out for a minute. Yep, yep. Wait for a good 30, 40 seconds. I will say this, though, in, in Chris's defense. I'm a clean freak, and I, I do appreciate how frequently he vacuums. So I wish I could get my wife to do that. <laughs> I do think, uh, well, it wasn't the uh, the reason why he was a winner. We should read the rest of Jonathan's email. Ben, do you want to read the rest of that? 
Oh, do I have the rest of it? I've, I've got it. I'll read it if you don't have it. <laughs> okay, okay, go uh, for it. So uh, Jonathan actually submitted two uh, two different uh, top five lists. He follows the first one up <laughs> yes. with, also, what the F, why wasn't there a Meatloaf tribute song, Ben? Come on, man. If that won't win, top five celebrities Josh should talk about killing and having dropped dead <laughs> next. Uh, <laughs> number five, William Daniels, Mr. Feeney. That's just kind of a, all right, right out of there. Uh, Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, I can see you killing him off. Bob Barker, isn't he already no I longer with us? I thought he was dead, but <laughs> if you want to kill him again, that's fine. Yeah, I killed him a while back. Okay. Uh, Queen Elizabeth and then Bob Chapek. Okay. Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> That's fucking great. <laughs> that woman's going to live to be 175 years old. I feel like I, I don't even want to laugh at the Bob Chapek one because I feel like at this point, anything like that could be construed as a threat against that guy. Yeah. This is not, not, by the way. Yeah. Do I need to sing uh, I Would Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that now at the end of the show? Yeah, why not? Damn it. <laughs> you got you to gotta come up with alternate lyrics, though. Don't phone it in this time. <laughs> I want you to spend more than five minutes on it. Like, what yeah, rhymes thanks. with love that would be funny? Not uh, a lot. Glove. <laughs> Orange. <laughs> uh, the, the one that I liked the best was from uh, John Valenti. And it was, how about yeah, a top five one. list of the best top five list ideas? Um, <laughs> and a couple people on the heels of this answered the question. So there's going to be an honorable mention here uh, as well. But we have uh, top five shitters. Uh, top five most ill-fitting Tom Corliss outfits. Top five ways Skipper Ben mentions he used to be a jungle boat captain. Hey. Wait, you, you used to be a jump. <laughs> I never knew. <laughs> it's called the Jungle Cruise, not Jungle Boat. Yeah, I was gonna say I started as I started to read it. I'm like, wait a minute, my words are not coming out correctly. Yes. Uh, top five terrible travel sites you shouldn't use to plan your Disney trip. That's uh, a good one. I, it's possible that that's a slight against me. I'm not sure. Uh, and then top five Stacy J sex dreams. That's your winner yeah. right there. Yeah, there we go. I think that was a pretty solid one as well. So uh, to the three of you, I would say within 24 hours of the show coming out, I will reach out to you and we will arrange some uh, some boxes of shit to be sent your way. Uh, on the heels of this, and while we didn't officially say this, we figured this would be a little bit stacked in his favor. Uh, we did not award anything to Gary, but he did give a top five shitters on property list. And I think this is worth reading as well. Uh he said, number five, Le Cellier, with a less common 1L2I spelling. Original title, work and nostalgia, really tying this commode together. Jock Lindsay's <laughs> hangar bar. Atmosphere, size, and full flow water with a large sink and faucet head. Make this shitter best at springs with boathouse not far behind due to the addition of an install. Glass cocaine shelf above the commode. Uh, <laughs> Polynesian main pool slash barefoot bar. Where else can you literally drop anchor in a volcano? Uh, two, imagination pavilion. Step back in time and pinch a vintage loaf whilst enjoying the original imagination soundtrack. Uh, I took that liberty in December. Boardwalk Inn, Bellevue Room. This is by far the most roomy and themed place to take a smash on property with drywall on each side adorned with <laughs> adorned with lighted artworks and the square footage comparable to a value resort room. This is the most exquisite and luxurious commode on so, property. I just got to get on. I mean, Gary can't win because he's basically family to the show. Yes, I mean, he was yes. a founding host. So he wants to, <laughs> but I, I but Gary does win one award by a huge margin. That is the one with the best grammar and spelling. Like this one actually was looked like it was formed by a person who went to school and, and Gary always tells me that he never did go to school so like he was always skipping he did misspell uh, Cellier, but other than that I'm also giving no him, possessive I'm giving <laughs> him some, full credit there's some it's, spelling mistakes here you don't know <laughs> <laughs> you're a number but, jockey I'm the word guy 
we certainly appreciate all of the responses. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if I uh, uh, <laughs> need to revisit this, depending on what additional cleaning I may do. But uh, I think that was a lot of fun. <laughs> And uh, we can look to do things like this again in the future. So, uh, Ben. You don't even have to limit it to Disney shit. You could just, whatever (laughs) objects, you're going to have these people's address now. You should just constantly send them a stream of stuff from your house. If we've got nudes. (laughs) If we've got baseball fans, we can really knock some stuff out of my basement. So, we got prizes going to. I was thinking more like a a broken in wall air conditioning unit that you don't need anymore. That's easy to ship. You're right. Uh, so John Valenti, Ben Bowers, and Jonathan Heigl will all be getting care packages from yours truly. So thank you for those submissions. I'll put a snowball in there for him. Okay, there you go. That's a good idea. <laughs> I have. I probably have some airtight cases that I could put it in. It might be water. I think that's how that works. I'm not really sure how uh, matter transmits from solid to liquid to gas. Anyway, uh, we are now on to listener questions. And we had a call out for these on Twitter, and we certainly get some via email as well. So we're going to kick off with some of these email questions. And on the heels of previous trips and uh, uh, discussions of the Disability Access Service, there's a couple of those in here that are more informational, but I think it is relevant to, uh, to stuff that we've talked about on the show. So this first one comes to us from Ezra Konigsberg, uh, apologies if I mis- mispronounced your last name. If I mispronounced your first name, I don't apologize for that. Um, subject, DAS. Hi, guys. I have a question about pre-registering for DAS rides. I understand you can't pre-register for the individual lightning lane rides, but I'm assuming you can book them once you're actually in the park. Do you know if that's accurate? It is. Uh, if so, do you have to wait until you've used your pre-registered rides before you can book a ride like Flight of Passage? In the past, we usually go straight to Flight of Passage, book it right away first thing in the morning. I'll wait until the pre- uh, we use our pre-selected rides, and it won't be able to do Flight of Passage until much later in the Day. Uh, don't really you're, have any ideas. You're, you're reading that so fast. I don't think anyone can hear that. I'm <laughs> yeah, reading it along with you and I can't understand. I'm, I'm skimming along because the <laughs> gist of the question is uh, about how the DAS works. But then uh, as I boil down to this later on, he says, I really don't have any ideas about show topics. But one thing that's irking me of late is that a lot of Disney restaurants are going to the prefix model instead of a la carte. Really doesn't work for my family because my wife and kids are vegetarians and a prefix meal is usually very overpriced if you don't eat meat. Also, I used to like to go to California Grill and share a few appetizers to make it a semi-reasonable cost. Now with the pre- uh, prefix menu, it's absolutely not in our budget. I'm also disappointed that Liberty Tree Tavern has discontinued its a la carte menu as I really enjoyed that as well. Just another example of Disney trying to squeeze every last dime out of you uh, at the expense of customer satisfaction. I, I could solve this one. Eat meat. <laughs> that, that does solve it. For your complaints on Disney menus, Disney doesn't care about you. You're taking up a valuable seat in their expensive restaurants and not buying the most expensive thing on the menu. And that is clearly your fault, not theirs. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) To his question about DAS, I can actually give some useful information there. Uh, You can absolutely book absolutely book the individual lightning lane attractions with a valid DAS once you're in the park. You do not have to wait for the advanced DAS selections to be used or expire. Consider the advanced DAS selections to be a separate pool than the day of DAS selections. So you have a couple of different areas to draw from if you have pre-registered for them. Do you guys have anything on the uh, on, on the restaurants? I know we've complained as part of the paper cut show about food quality, but yeah, no, I mean, I made a joke. It is expensive about the not eating meat, but I I totally agree with the sentiment. I mean, this is the exact sort of thing that is just you know eating away at customer satisfaction. Yeah, and I would say just some of the recent stuff. I don't know if like the future of the restaurants has fully panned out at the moment. That's I think true. they're still. Coming out of the pandemic stuff, I hate hearing supply chain crap, but they'll rely on, you know, using that as an excuse. Yeah, it'll be an excuse uh, I, for a while. 
I, I don't know if what we have right now is what is going to be in the future. It doesn't mean it's going to be any better than what we have right now, but I think this is them just trying to figure out the best way to get some of these restaurants back online. Uh, Tim and I both have complained about how hard it is to get any kind of dining reservation for anywhere uh, right now, and it's just for lack of capacity. It's for lack of uh, having enough people run those restaurants. It's, ha- it's lack of them wanting to make some stuff available. So... I would not get insanely discouraged at what we see right now. Give it another year or so, I would think, before we see what they really have in store. But this is, I don't know if this is it, and that's why I'm not getting too worked up at it, uh, you know, at the moment. As somebody that needs to have an animal ritualistically sacrificed for my meal, I'm probably not the best person to act. Uh, ask about vegetarian meals, but I do think compared to other places that would be travel destinations, Disney does offer more. But Mm -hmm. uh, if it's not a la carte, then he's absolutely right. You're paying for the protein at an a la carte meal. So yeah, you're you're eliminating a lot of restaurants if you want to be somewhat economically feasible. I mean, if you're eating economically reasonable, I'm getting tongue tied this evening, but it's, I, I can't disagree with anything that he said there that no, if you're going to a buffet, yes, you may have some offerings. I know um, we've seen the vegetarian options at Ohana, and while it's a good uh, assortment of of hummus and chips and whatnot, it's not fifty five dollars worth of hummus and chips. Yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, you could probably ar- argue that it's not fifty five dollars worth of steak and shrimp and whatnot, but you're getting more for your money that way. So, yeah. Anyway, and and we've talked about it in the last show. You know, I'm I'm one that previously I wanted to sit, you know, eat at a, a sit down restaurant every day during my trip. Sure. And because we couldn't last time, we had to rely much more on counter service. And I do think they've stepped their game up on the counter service. The new restaurants that are coming online have much better food quality. It's much more interesting food. You know, the 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 relying on hot hot dogs and hamburgers is just not there. And it seems like. Pretty much all of the new restaurants that come online or whenever they do a menu update, they do have at least one, uh, you know, top of the line vegetarian meal uh, that's part right. of their menu. It's it's not just a throw in. It's it's like they, you know, you have your you have your meat, you have your chicken, you have your beef, and then they have a well thought out vegetarian option as well. So uh, don't get totally discouraged. I think, you know, it might take some changing of people's mindsets that you're not going to go to, uh, you know, sci-fi dine in or uh, beer garden every single time, but the, the, the counter service restaurants and what they're doing at those places, give those a shot and, and you'll save money eating there as well. Uh, so it's, it's going to be better on your bottom line. And I think the food quality is uh, pretty darn decent right now. So Tuli Canteen and Docking Bay oh, 7 yeah. are perfect examples of that, where yep. uh, I, you could make an argument that the best option at Docking Bay 7 is a meatless meatball dish. So yep. uh, there are some good options there. Uh, next question comes to Top us. Top of the from, line, meatball, meatless dish. Yes. It, you, you say that, and this I, I laughed at it as well, and I had it twice on my last trip. Uh, at so. Tuli Canteen, you could take the chicken out of my – my bowl and I'd be happy like the right, like the rice and the vegetables and the sauces on there. I could eat a vegetarian version of that all day long. It's, it's really, really good stuff. Um, so this one comes to us from Keegan McCann. He writes, Oh God, Dear- I'm gone. Yes. <laughs> it's Josh's favorite, uh, oh, favorite listener. Dear guy. 
hit podcast Marty called. Thank you for letting me come on the podcast. How many F words do I get on my episode? Also, I don't know what a Chapek is. Is that some sort of fruit? My mom is in Disney World right now as I write this and left me at home when I had a four-day weekend. Please call her out for this. So uh, full disclosure, this email is a few months old and uh, <laughs> Keegan has since been to Disney World. Uh, he was there last month and uh, he needs a decent microphone before we let him on the show. <laughs> now, when uh, they left him alone, did he have to battle two uh, bumbling thieves with uh, nothing but toys and BB guns? That's how I envisioned it, yes. Yeah. Well, glad you pulled <laughs> how, through, buddy. How old is Keegan? Uh, he's 26. <laughs> that joke is funny every time. <laughs> uh, and to answer your question about what a Chapek is, a Chapek is a virus that has long gone unnoticed. Uh, <laughs> you guys have anything else for Keegan? Uh, no, I look forward to him being on. I, wa- I want to actually address his question. I think it's uh, unfair that you you don't even respond to his you know to the call of his questions. Uh, you can have as many f words as he wants. I, I look at it more as a minimum than a maximum, but it is a seasoning. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't want to. You have to sort of consider the palate of your audience as well as the uh, you know the the inherent nature of the show. And then you know when it's the right time, you just bam pop a fuck in there. <laughs> Great. It's uh, one of the highlights of recording. That's uh, some words of wisdom from the Sultan of Saki. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, this next one uh, is from Joe from Long Island slash Vito from the Bronx or Vinny from Staten Island, whichever <laughs> you choose. Uh, thinking about this whole CEO idea, I'm fully on board with the theory that the next CEO will come from the streaming side of things. With that said, and the fact that Disney stock has been on the steady decline, how patient do you feel the board of directors and shareholders will be with the declining stock price and the plug-in answer of things like, we will limit portion sizes to help profits in people's waistlines? At this point, optics being everything that Disney is in a cash grab mode in the parks, how long can that act- they actually sustain that before systemic change is in order? Seems to me that Chapek pushed up and, uh, and cu- I can't speak. Seems to me that Chapek pushed up and coming executives out. Let's try no, this again, Tim. Up and coming. He was not put, pushing put, on executives put, that were coming. He was pushing on up and coming. On the yes, wrong syllable. And, and it's it's the second one you've done in as many paragraphs that could be interpreted as a, as, as a, uh, an ejaculatory reference. Just why am I the one out. reading? We've already established I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> no, you read good. Seems to me that Chapek pushed up and coming executives out, Kevin Mayer, as you guys suggested, and Kelly Campbell. I wonder if this was a work of self preservation. Anyway, looking at the final 15 months of the 50th celebration makes me wonder what will be the legacy of Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary? Will it always be a series of what ifs? And if, and if not for COVID sentiments, or will the openings of Guardians, Epcot, whatever that is, and Tron prove otherwise? Personally, I'm thinking that when Universal opens Epic Universe, we will see Universal go from Little Brother in the 90s and 2000s to legitimate competition in the 20s tends to finally standing alongside or potentially overtaking Disney as top option in Florida. Seems the Eisner idea of making Disney an all-inclusive is all but gone, and current management seems to be completely happy with letting people go elsewhere. Uh, only time tells. Great job as always. Joe from Long Island, Vito from the Bronx, Finney from Staten Island. What do you guys think? What do you think the legacy of the 50th will be? You know, who knows? I, I, you know, it seems like Disney fans are pretty rabid of, in terms of looking at the at the at Disney World, anyway, through rose-colored glasses. I mean, there are people that everything they do. Rose-gold-colored glasses. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I can't speak. to – Actually, I'm not drinking tonight, which I think is the problem. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that they, the Disney fan base that we have today is very, very loyal, almost to the point of being apologists for the company. At least that's how sure. I view most of them. Um, I, I think the bigger question is, does that die? Um, because if it does, then you got real problems because I don't think that Disney as it is right now can really afford to be evaluated on the merits, especially if you do it in terms of value. But, um, you know, 
if this is just a blip on the radar, it, it, it can change direction. The company's changed before. Um, so I don't view it, you know, fatalistically, like there's no hope of it ever being, you know, what I like again, but it doesn't seem like the trend line is going that way. As far as the 50 goes, I don't, I think that was more of something that Disney cared about from a marketing perspective. Yeah, it's than a number. Customers do. So yeah, so I don't, I don't really think that's going to be the issue. I think the issue, if there is one, is that they, keep making poor decisions about what they're going to do with these parks to the point where the next generation of guests just doesn't care. And they have no more sentimental attachment to Disney than they do to universal. I think if that happens, you got big problems. I think the timing of the 50th obviously hurt them (laughs) Uh, plan, but the 50th was when it was. So uh, they did not plan on a, uh, on COVID disrupting 2020 and 2021 and people's unwillingness to travel. But I mean, I look back at celebrations that they've done in the past, and the one that I keep on calling my attention to or calling uh, my approval to is the happiest celebration on Earth because they added yeah. things. They added things like Everest and Soren. So when you when you add new attractions, which we've we've shot on Disney quite a bit, they are adding new attractions, and I don't think we can dismiss that that they've added Ratatouille. Yes, it should have opened a year and a half ago. Uh, they they are opening Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind next or this summer. So that's really what I think we as fans want to see is that those additions are positive to the parks. And there have been positive additions um, ahead of the 50th. And it kind of remains to be seen whether those two that we're waiting on both Tron and guardians will be positive additions going forward. And whether those are counted in the mind's eye of people as part of the 50th remains to be seen, I guess. Uh, also the, the metric people use to count something is whether it was there for their trip. Yeah, you, that's you not, you're absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. Um, fun fact that I learned when, uh, kind of doing a little bit of digging for this question. Did you guys know that Kevin Mayer was at one point the CEO of Playboy.com? Did not. Mm, no. That's a, that's a fun fact. <laughs> for uh, for a company that has long struggled to target the young adult male demographic, I really think that he would have been better suited to be the CEO. But uh, aside from that, I really don't know <laughs> if he would have been any better or worse than Bob Chapek, to be honest with you. I was going to say that the uh, legacy of the 50th is going to be when is the 60th. <laughs> like I mean, like like everything has gone so wrong from the start of this. Uh, you know, it, it, it to me it dates back to the the beginning of the transition of Iger to Chapek, sure, <laughs> and the timing of his announcement of leaving the company days before uh, the shit hit the fan with COVID, and just the the terrible transition to, uh, I think everything that they really wanted to do they're not getting done right now. Uh, they're they're they they had much grander plans for all of this, and it's just kind of falling flat on its face. There is no buzz about getting out there for the fiftieth like there there has been with previous celebrations from uh, you know the twenty fifth uh, to I mean, Walt's one hundredth Ep- birthday. Epcot's thirtieth was huge. Epcot's thirtieth. There's no buzz around this whatsoever to the point that it almost seems like they just want to get through it at this yeah. point and move on to the next one, where the next one possibly you know. 10 years from now, is Chapek still in charge? Is that the time that somebody can go back in and try to fix what has been broken, kind of like what Josh said? Can we go back to what we used to have? Is that enough time uh, that they're going to be able to assess what if what they're doing now is what the future of the parks is, or if they're doing everything wrong right now and they need to you know, hit some kind of reset and, and relaunch and you know, they, they don't move fast, so that kind of reset and relaunch ain't going to happen until the 60th. So, to me, everything's just been kind of a buzzkill around this, uh, especially for the. I mean, I 
I turn on the TV and I don't see any commercials. I don't see any advertising that like you have to get here for this celebration, but I definitely don't see it like we have with previous celebrations where it was just every other bit trying to get you down there. So, uh, that's, that's my thought that the the legacy of the 50th is going to be minimal and they're going to be looking to see how they can blow it out for the next one. But you know, there's been bad legacies to other ones. I mean, remember when they put the cake, they, you know, did the Kate Castle thing. I mean, but that it's was still, it, yeah. it, it's still memorable. That's the sad part. Like <laughs> that is more memorable than anything that they're doing right now. We all still remember that cake. We all, I mean, for the hell, they even put a, a filter in Genie Plus. So you could take a picture with that old terrible Kate <laughs> Castle. I, could, I mean, I could kick you in the nuts and you'd remember it. That doesn't necessarily mean it was a highlight. I mean, I think we're looking at numerical anniversary type things as, something meaningful in the context of a theme park. And the reality is the evolution of these parks has never been dictated by anniversaries. It really hasn't. And as we see these parks grow, the growth has been a business need more than anything. So uh, you, you called attention or called ahead to the 60th anniversary. Is that really any more relevant than the 50th anniversary? I mean, I think, I think to Velma it is, I think 50 is a big number. Remember how I did it? It is, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it shouldn't necessarily be the make or break point. If does a park need a new attraction, then add it. I don't care if it's year forty-eight well, or year fifty-two. I'm with they're him def- on this one. I'm speaking on the side of their def- I'm speaking on the company side, I guess, more than anything. That they're definitely looking at the fiftieth as a major revenue boost. Like they, they hold things off in the years leading up to the fiftieth to put it in those big tentpole years to to get people to come out. And people, I don't think, are coming out in the way that they had anticipated. The fiftieth to be. That's I'm like I'm looking at it more on that side. You know, it also works just building quality attractions. Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's a, it's a novel approach. You and you, some, you evaluate the needs of your customers and respond with a high quality solution to their. But Ratatouille is an example for you there, where they, like it said, it should have been open over a year ago, but they held it for the fiftieth because nothing else was coming online in time yeah. for the fiftieth, and they. They did that because of what they were trying to get people to come out for for this special, uh, you know, eighteen month time period. I mean, not to uh, continue to bash Disney and praise Universal, but did Universal do anything for their twenty fifth anniversary? I don't know that no. they did. If they did, it wasn't anything that was meaningful. Well, and except you know, put on new major rides every single year. Well, exactly. That that's they just said. <laughs> All right, we're just going to put in a new e ticket every year uh, because yep. we do have to play catch up. And let's call yep. that what it is. They are still um, well, Epic the Universe, brother, so, but yeah, Epic Epic Universe. They that's lining up for their what thirty fifth thirty fifth anniversary. Yeah. So, but I also that, think that's coincidental because that was probably supposed to open in 2024, if not 2023, but COVID delayed it to 2025. So. I was going to say, forgive my ignorance on this. Didn't they announce that they weren't doing that? Did I miss their? They've restarted. They've begun oh, yeah. it again, and it is. They've okay. announced an opening date of summer 2025. I totally missed that somehow. Well, that's that's awesome because I think that's the kind of competition that, unfortunately, if I think Ben is right that the company is. Purely driven by what it thinks is going to contribute. They're driven to by its marketing, and they're line. bad at marketing. Yep. Well, they're driven by you know making money, but they're not very good at understanding. I don't think what their customers actually want. And it, but the one thing that does seem to make them respond is competition from Universal. I mean, you look at uh, yep. you know uh, Diagon Alley and what that did, and you know Harry Potter World in general. I mean, that there's a big. Uh, you know, you always tend to see big responses from Disney when Universal does something dramatic. So, sure. um, if they add a new gate and it's spectacular, 
I, I don't think Disney can defend itself on earnings calls without a plan to respond to that. I just don't think they can. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to address more Universal Disney competition later on, but uh, let's move on to the next one. This is another DAS-related question. Uh, hey, guys, this is Ben from Dallas here. No, not that one. Long-time listener, first-time emailer, I think. Just wanted to follow email, up. huh? <laughs> yes. Just wanted to follow up on Tim's DAS comments to share our experience. I don't think I explained it here. DAS is a disability thing. We've talked about it in the past, but just in case. My wife has... Uh, I, I love this. I love this email, by the way. I've got so much to say at the end of it. <laughs> My wife has MS, and we've been using DAS since 2019 over the course of five trips now. She recently took a girl's trip over Veterans Day weekend with her mom and her daughter, and it was her first time using the new video chat service. Her experience wasn't quite as bad as yours, but it was still pretty awful. Having heard how long the wait times were, she did her enrollment on a Tuesday, thinking maybe a weekday would not be as bad. She requested a chat at 7.53 a.m. She received a response into the pre-registration steps at 1.13 p.m. She connected to the video (laughs) chat at 1.34 p.m. She was done with that and back to the pre-planning slash booking chat at 1.39 p.m. That process was finished at 2.10 p.m. She was only booking rides for three days. So about Uh. six hours and 15 minutes start to finish. I beat you by three hours there. Uh, (laughs) That evening when I was looking at the pre-reserved attractions on my Disney experience, I noticed that they had omitted um, her mom from the list. So the reservations were just for my wife and daughter. Awesome. I tried to do the general chat on the Disney website. They couldn't assist, of course, and directed us back to the DAS chat. She tried the next day, but after being in a queue for four plus hours, she dropped off because, well, she had a flight to catch. Next day, they started at Animal Kingdom. First stop, guest relations. The line was horribly long, so a guest relations cast member stationed where the line began told them they could visit any of the guest experience cast members stationed in the park. Those are those blue umbrellas. Off they went. Guess what? Those cast members can't edit the uh, pre-reserved attractions. So it was back to guest relations at the front of the park. When they finally got to a window, guest relations cast member was able to get her mom added to all of the attractions except Peter Pan. Why? Cast member had no clue. She also inadvertently deleted the return time they had for Midway Mania, so she just reissued an anytime pass for the three of them for that. Why she didn't do that for Peter Pan, I have no clue. Uh, so had about an hour onto the six plus hours time spent pre-planning, and she was seven plus hours all in for the DAS approval and five advanced reservations, and one useless one that only covered two-thirds of their party. But once all was said and done, she said using DAS to get return times the day of was really game-changing and an incredibly convenient system. I have no idea why this wasn't already a thing, since clearly the infrastructure was there for FastPass Plus. Sorry for the novella, but just wanted to share her experience. If we were first-time guests, there is literally 0% chance we'd have successfully navigated this and had a good feeling about it. Keep up the good work, Ben West. That sucks. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. I know yeah. Ben West. That guy's cool. Yes, yes. <laughs> different different than uh, Ben Bowers. We've got a, a Ben-centric podcast here. Uh, the, speaking uh, of Ben, Ben, you got any ideas on this? Well, his note at the end there that once everything was working, it was an unbelievable game-changing experience. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. It is. The rest of everything should be shut down until that is also an awesome game-changing experience. Like there's so there seems to be so many problems, and they don't have the that or there's they don't have the staff to actually execute what they're doing. That that's anybody that's spending thing. seven hours to go through this before their trip is already going with the sour taste in their mouth. That that is just a terrible experience leading into it. Uh, now, if they want to roll this out, I I'm sorry they've got to beef it up to the level that they can handle the demand on a daily basis that this is needing, I can get an hour. I can get a couple hours. When you're starting to get into six, seven, oh, eight hours to do that, that's not is even in the ballpark stupid. of acceptable. Stupid. If, you, yep. any, if your Disney trip planning experience makes you long for having to deal with your cable company, you fucked yep. it up. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. come on, six and a half hours. That's, that's just, <laughs> and they got it wrong. I mean, that's the thing. You're going to punish me and then you screwed up. Yeah. Yep. No, I, unfortunately, this is the, uh, this experience is what people should anticipate. Certainly not defending it at all. Just anticipate it if you want to utilize this. But, uh, the automation of the day of component of DAS is substantially better. Uh, we use this firsthand. That is absolutely an improvement to the guest experience. And honestly, I don't think the advanced selections are necessary. I understand the reason yeah. behind it is primarily to lighten the load of guest services cast members. But, um, I don't know that that's really going to happen, uh, well, to be it, honest it, with you. It sounds like the time suck is once you get approved, having to sit with that person and go through and making those reservations. Like, why does that have to be a face-to-face experience? So why that's, does, why that's can't yeah, it be like after you one no non-structured part of it? It's really weird, that part it's, of it. It's, it's like once you get approved, something should go off and it should recognize your dates, your trip, and allow you to go in there exactly. and make You're your three right. ones without a face-to-face person. That's going to cut down the times on this. I don't understand the reason for I've got to sit there with Joe uh, sitting out in you know celebration in some cubicle going over what three yeah. rides I want each day and just it's an absolute waste of time. And what's funny is this is the exact sort of thing that Disney talked about My Magic Plus providing, you know, this sort mm-hmm. of seamless connection between various things. And man, that system has just, has it delivered on any of the promises they actually made? Or has it just basically been a punitive torture system to <laughs> make guests regret ever having signed up for it? They promised to spend money, I guess. Oh, they, deli- <laughs> they delivered it. on that. I actually, uh, over delivered. <laughs> to not have to sit there and waste that time, I'd, I'd be up more for, uh, once you get approved, you just randomly get three per day that you per park uh, that you have reserved that day. So you know you get approved and you have Magic Kingdom. The system just randomly gives you Pirates, Buzz, and and uh, Little Mermaid. I would rather go in with that, not having like the ones that I actually want, but it's saving me six hours from having to sit there in misery trying to get that done. Uh, it, there's just nothing about this experience that sounds enjoyable whatsoever. I mean, I think your first idea was better. If, if you're approved for this, then when you go yeah. on the normal, oh, yeah. I mean, this is what, you know, it's funny. This company loves to talk about inclusiveness and everything. This is the opposite of inclusiveness. You're creating a subpar shitty experience for people that need to use this disability system. What it should be is that, okay, I understand you have to have a screening process, but once that's done, the way that I schedule rides, if I, if I need this service should be identical to what a, a yeah. you know, able-bodied guest has right. to do. That, I mean, that's yep. how you make it a similar experience. I mean, yes, there are some nuances there that have to be handled, but they've done none of that. They've, they've really said, oh, yeah, we want you to have a great time. Here's the, here's the uh, you know, agony you're going to have to endure in order hmm. to get it. The big very, thing about this bad. is that this step, these advanced reservations, I don't think were anything anybody was pushing for. They, yeah. So I, I appreciate it because we benefited from it, and I think we probably used 80% of the ones that we booked on our last trip. Excuse me, but I don't think it's necessary in most cases here. Yeah. And really, if you've got the screening process, if you've, I mean, my brother hadn't been on a trip in almost, uh, let's see, early 2019 to late 2021. So it was a while, but he should already be in the system as yeah. somebody that has been, been pre approved for it. So there, those types of things should already be on record that. All right, this is somebody that in perpetuity should have access to this system. Right. 
But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, ben, certainly well, appreciate your anecdote. Sorry that it took seven you're welcome. hours. No, oh, but you know, it, it is what, what's actually interesting about this, and it's, it's just sort of starting to resonate with me now because of Ben's email. We're really complaining about the same thing manifesting in different ways. That's what sure. every one of our shows is, and this is no different. This is a situation where whatever drove the decision – about what this program was going to look like, it sure as heck wasn't what was going to be a good guest experience. And that is the thing that Disney built its brand on. And if you are anything other than a day trader, because uh, we had a previous question about you know how Wall Street was going to respond, and we all sort of didn't answer because I don't think any of us know. I'm certainly I don't not know qualified, qualified to, to answer. No, not that, we're, not. not that we're qualified to answer any of those other questions we're asking. Answer, True, but. we're especially unqualified to answer yes. that. And I don't know that you know. I think the best people could do is you know John Kramer it and that you know speculate and maybe it's informed or not. But um, you know if you're anyone who's wants to invest in this company because you believe it's going to be successful over the long term, you have to look at the big picture and ask, are they doing the things that are going to make that success happen? And if you believe that taking care of your guests is the most important thing, um, you know, then they're not. So I don't know if, I don't know. It's just, is it just a complete disregard for the parks as a whole? That's the problem. I don't know, but it just seems to me that if whoever was making the decisions about this program was passionate about making it as good as it could be. They, they just didn't. Uh, this next question is actually more in line with what we want to want the show to be about. Cause I think it's about happier things or at least creative thought exercises. So this comes to us from uh, Joel Nans, not Joel Nans. He, uh, he gave me a rhyming guide with his name. <laughs> he says, what do you think will be the next existing ride in any of the four parks to be completely demolished or gutted for something brand new? Rethemes or overlays don't count, and let's pretend the remainder of Dinoland USA has already been dealt with. So I have an answer here, but why don't uh, Ben? Why don't you kick this one off? Does Carousel of Progress count as a major ride? I think it would, and that, that actually made my list. So yeah, <laughs> I think I think that corner uh, will lose something at some point, uh, just because not only if you take that space and some of the space behind it, uh, and so you know the 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 Tomorrowland stage that was never repurposed over there. there there's a huge chunk of land that yeah. is really just being anchored by carousel at this point and they've gone so long without updating that final scene that i've just at this point think they are never going to do it and it's going to be so dated at some point uh and we're also going to have people in charge that have just real no connection to the legacy uh anymore but they won't care they're going to tear <laughs> it down and then everybody will bitch about it and then they'll be like oh we maybe shouldn't have done that but too late it's already gone um that that's I hate to say it I don't want it to go but I think that corner uh, in the carousel itself is prime real estate that at some point is going to go away. <sighs> Josh, before you answer, uh, yeah. the the amount of time that they've taken to not update Carousel of Progress, <laughs> you you said something last show about TVs being um, <laughs> like like bad screens being quaint, or I don't remember what, what yeah. terminology you used. Is Carousel of Progress approaching that point where because it's you know now twenty plus years removed <laughs> from when it's supposed to be set? So I could I don't know how many podcasts I've been on where we've talked about you know, the possibility of updating that scene and what it should be. Um, and I, I, I understand that it's a reasonable conversation to have for sure. But I think another approach is to be a little bit more responsive to what you said is that I personally think it's fine. Um, because essentially what has happened now is that that's, we always, it's, it's optics a little bit because we always used to look at that scene as being the future scene. 
Sure. But but now it's basically four scenes from the past. It's just that that scene is yeah, in, the, in the recent but past. But isn't so. the dialogue referring that it's like now? Like, well, like maybe, there, I mean, there, a dialogue some, change would be less, uh, you know, yeah, destructive. Yeah, I, I think a couple tweaks to the, some of the just dialogue that they have in there and make it, like you just said, a, 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 a scene from the past, would that would totally work. But the way they talk in that scene right now, it definitely comes across as if, this is stuff that we're seeing or we're go- we're going to see. Even just a narration at the beginning that emphasizes this is a look at the uh, at a family going through the 20th century. And yeah. that, yeah. that solves it. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. That to me, I mean, I, I agree, unfortunately, I agree with everything you said, Ben. I think uh, we, <laughs> we, we've been spending so much time talking about these people don't care. They don't have an affinity for the classic attractions. And then so it'd be kind of stupid if I stood here and said, oh, yeah, that'll never happen. Um, so, I, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. But I, I'm with you. I sure hope it doesn't, because that is really a connection to Walt. It's a connection to Disneyland. It's a connection to the World's Fair. I mean, sure. I don't know that there's any attraction that actually has been in all three of those places physically. I mean, small world has its Genesis there, but the, you know, that the small world at Disneyland was from the world's fair. This one wasn't. So as far as I know, carousel progress is it and the progress city model. So, uh, to destroy those is really to, uh, stick your middle finger up at your past. (laughs) Do you have another candidate for something that would be totally gutted that's in the parks? Yeah, this was a hard question. Um, the one that I came up with is th- that I could really see going away if any minor problem happened. Well, I say minor would be the seas. I don't know okay. much about plastic, which is weird because the area where I live in Indiana is like the American center of plastic, like the biggest plastic company in the world is here. Uh, but I know I nothing about it. I thought that was Southern California. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> that's silicone. <laughs> um, but, you know, the if you look at the acrylic there on those aquarium tanks, they, it doesn't look good. And I don't know if that's simply a cosmetic thing or if it indicates that those panels are reaching the end of life. But the one thing that I can't imagine them doing is putting millions of dollars into, you know, taking those aquariums out, putting the fish somewhere, rebuilding it, refilling it. I think if, if no. those aquariums go, that's the end of that pavilion for sure. So that was so the first one. I, I, I mentioned the seas uh, in my in my thought process here, but I think that aside from some sort of failure to the tank, that an update to imagination and or the seas will probably maintain some semblance of original theme or even track. So I don't know. Like I, I absolutely understand what you're saying that the seas is probably a very expensive uh, pavilion to maintain and. If Disney had their druthers, they wouldn't have had it in the first place. I think they. Yeah, could, I think could that's look. probably right. Uh, and certainly, in hindsight, if they were going to have it, they'd probably want it in the Animal Kingdom. But it's what it's what Walt wanted, though. I'm I actually look- this. You don't hear me say this very often, especially about Epcot. If a pavilion had to go from Epcot, <gasps> a classic uh-oh, pavilion, uh-oh. that would that would probably be it. I mean, certainly the, the the land is is sacred to me. Um, you're killing I mean, my scene, Epcot, Josh. You're killing my childhood, man. The, <laughs> the seas you're, is cool. You're killing world nature. The thing is, yeah, yeah, oh jeez, uh, what's it that world nature neighborhood? Remember they were calling them neighborhoods. They've, at least they got yes. away from that. Um, I think oh, they're they still already, calling them neighborhoods. Oh, they're still neighborhoods. Yeah. They oh good, they, <laughs> they they already kind of killed the seas when they when they took the showmanship out of it and I think that the I mean there's still a dark ride there I like that that would be actually it's not as good as it was but I don't it's know a mediocre I, dark ride I honestly it, didn't like the sea cabs all that much and I know that's blasphemous so I'm with you I mean if 
First off, I think the at deluge. this point, at this point, yeah, it is deluge. stale in its current version. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It is. The coolest so, thing about it is there's retro paint on the walls there. Like you could sort of see some of the original Epcot aesthetic around that pavilion. That's that's why. I, but it's not. I'm not really going there for what it is. I'm going there for what it was. Well, for me, it's the uh, it's the the tube the uh, where the scuba diver comes in and out of. Okay. Love and it. That's, but it, I mean, it, it, remember so, the hydrolators like when they had a pre-show oh, yeah. and it was it was just so. Well, between between that and that exhibit in the middle of the floor, like those those are definite direct connections to my childhood. Like yep. I remember going in there and seeing the guy swim up that tube yep. and just being in awe of it. And we don't have many of those things still around at Epcot that that are from that time period. And I would hate to see that go. But I think you're totally right. This one at some point, I mean, I don't even know what I mean. It's got to be an arm and a leg to run an aquarium of that size at all times. And and at some point when the penny pinchers are going, they're going to look at what's the payoff. Is it worth it? And yeah, I totally I mean, could see this one going at some point. And that actually is a Walt defensible. If you're caring about the legacy of Walt, you could look at and say, hey, Walt was such a proponent of animatronics because it took the variability and cost yeah. of live animals out of the equation. So this is really kind of outside of the Disney, uh, you know, original business model because it has all of the unpredictability and the cost. I mean, I yeah. can't, can you imagine? I mean, just veterinarians and I mean, I can't even imagine what that pavilion cost are on. But I mean, they shut down everything. I mean, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll take the napkins away, but they're still running <laughs> that pavilion. We are they're not that far soap. removed. From that being one of the biggest aquariums, or one of, if not the biggest aquariums in the country, too. Um, it's not there any. It's not that uh, no, level Atlanta, anymore. Atlanta Aquarium is there. Atlanta is substantially bigger than it, but uh, yeah. there was a point in time where well, that was opened, the, it, it the was. biggest one. So yeah. um, to, to answer Joel's question on my own, um, I looked at just candidates for removal and the ones that I thought kind of screamed gutting. Uh, We're not I think counting Rocket- sound stages, though, right? Like, I, well, I meant I mean, to mention that. Yeah, so like a sound stage could stay, and so that's why I said rock and roller coaster. Okay, I don't. I, think I sort of excluded those just because yeah. they're basically squares, cubes. Well, but I mean, something so something like rock and roller coaster. Likely a scenario is it gets a retheme and they keep the coaster because that's the yeah. cheapest way to to update it. But I also don't think it's unreasonable that a the next IP that they want to devote a land to takes up the space that rock and roller coaster is on and they say let's just remove the roller coaster that i don't think yeah. is a ridiculous thing to say uh other things uh buzz light your space ranger spin i could see it being gutted but they have repurposed that ride track so many times so again likely a scenario you gut the ride you keep the ride track uh carousel of progress we've already talked about uh star tours we've discussed that and whether they reuse those same 30 year old simulators or they just cut it out and put the black box ride there. The obvious one for me is Tomorrowland Speedway because it just takes oh, God, up such I a huge so. footprint. Uh, I didn't think it counted because it wasn't a show building, but but it ma- it. that makes the most amount of sense to me. Please I've long been it. a proponent of moving. It's a small world, but I'm not putting that here. And the other one that I think people are downplaying is Mission Space. I think that as Epcot evolves, it is mm. not the it is not the problem with Epcot right now, but we aren't that far removed from that being one of the older pavilions. So yeah, but that restaurant just made it pretty fresh again. That's a but that's it, a. It could be ahead. a gut job, though. I mean, the uh, ride certainly isn't popular enough to uh, uh, to keep that around longer than Horizons. And not that the same they're bringing back Horizons, but just these are these are the candidates of. Things that take up a huge chunk of space, 
that could be replaced. Uh, if I had to vote on any of the, not like it, my choice would be Tomorrowland Speedway, and I think that's also the likeliest one of I major so. attractions um, to to go away. But that thing sucks. Yeah. So the last of our emailed questions comes to us from I didn't write down his name. I apologize. Yeah. Um, well done. Yes, good job here. So, uh, subject, Marty called Paper Cuts Mailbag. Hey, Tim, Ben, and Josh, I expect you to get to this after Ben's universal trip and before my cruise in July. Ha ha, joke's on you. We're yeah, answering jerk. it more timely. You jerk. <laughs> if you somehow do get to this before Ben's trip, hope he enjoys universal. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, sorry. Thanks. Appreciate you, pal. <laughs> Those comments didn't real world. This guy covered his bases. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the first Paper Cuts episode, and here's my Paper Cuts topic. Merchandise. Talking with my mm. mom after visiting to box lunch and seeing their exclusive 50th anniversary merchandise, I have to ask why Disney can't do that quality stuff for their own shop, Disney and World of Disney merchandise. Uh, I, I think supply chain issues and uh, the stuff that's on uh, shipping containers in Los Angeles. There, that, that answers the question, right? <laughs> uh, so, I, I have a lot to say about this, actually. Let me finish the question, and then you can go. Uh, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's bad when my mother, who's not an online Disney fan, can see the parks collection quality issues. Now, don't get me wrong. The issues weren't Chapek alone and Iger before Chapek came on board. I remember High School Musical and Jump In merchandise sold at the cart in the Rock and Roller Coaster Courtyard facing the Stratocaster during my college program. However, more and more we see merchandise that doesn't fit the theme of the store, say an Epcot uh, shirt and Mickey's of Hollywood and toys and Keystone Clothiers. I say that latter is close in the name, but it has some nice higher-end stuff that's not too pricey Disney clothing merchandise. I'm not bad bashing Chapek to bash him, but the box lunch licensed uh, Walt Disney World 50th gear is better than Disney's own. Really, Bean Counter Bob, what do you think of the most recent merchandise quality? We did talk about this, but uh, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, I, th I think not only do they suck at it now, I actually don't think they've ever been good at it, but they're definitely worse. And before I get into some specific merchandise issues, um, let's just talk about the bags. Remember when they used to have like park specific bags and, you know, park specific items? It wasn't just Walt Disney World, but you could get, yeah. you know, plates that had Magic Kingdom or Epcot. I mean, it was much more. Um, and I think this, this ties right into what our God knows what his name in, uh, listener says. Um, the reason that the we'll merchandise <laughs> doesn't tend to fit the store is because it was never intended for a store or even for a park. It's just this, you know, great unwashed swath of stuff that's pretty Generic much available stuff, everywhere. Yeah. There's not this, and that takes away. I mean, I'm not a big shopper, but it is kind of cool when stores have unique offerings because it makes you want to go explore. And that was, that to me is one of the things that most casual Disney guests miss out on is this right. old school, where it was a world that you could go into and explore. You could find nooks and crannies. You could find things that weren't available anywhere else. And that led to the the depth and the, re the repeatability of the place. It makes you want to keep going and going. And I think they've really, really lost that. And, that, and I agree that way predates Chapek. Um, yeah, that even, absolutely. Uh, you know, that's, you know, 25 years in the making there. Um, but as far as merchandise quality goes, I used to really get frustrated because, uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about it, but I'm a, I'm in a model railroading and have been for basically my whole life on and on again, off again. And when I had my big layout in Florida, I mean, I had a very large layout in Florida. Um, I wanted a really nice scale Walt Disney World monorail and I would have paid a shitload of money for it. And I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm anywhere near alone. And all you could get was either nothing or this, you know, crappy plastic one that wasn't even proportioned correctly like the monorail. It was just, you know, just reeked of a bad toy. 
Um, it you is. Know, we have it going around our Christmas tree, <laughs> and it's so it's so rickety. It is. It's it is just a not poor nice. Excuse. I mean, it looks like the cheapest piece of crap that you ever could have come up with. You know, but they'll but they have a thirty seven thousand five hundred dollar uh, you know castle that's bedazzled. You know, Swarovski yep. or whoever it is. Like th- those are is that really? Those are the bookends of a line of merchandise, but the line of merchandise isn't there. The fat part of the bell curve, which is you know, guests that are, you know, middle, upper middle class that want to spend maybe a few hundred dollars for something that is nice to remember the place by, those offerings aren't there. And I just, I don't, for a company that is so hell bent on turning you upside down and shaking you until every last coin falls out of your pocket, how in the world are they missing this? I mean, and they've been missing it forever. It's just, it's mind blowing to me that they don't realize that uh, they're leaving a lot of money on the table. And you'll, I don't think you'll ever hear me say that about this company again, but this is, <laughs> Uh, unless they just decide that they could sell the crappiest shit they want to and people will overpay for it anyway. But to me, it just seems like there's a lot of opportunities there that they're not even trying to hit. The uh, listener's name uh, is Michael King. And you mentioned nooks and crannies. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention Andy Barr, uh, the man better known online as Andy, the snowplow driver, who uh, was recently That's endorsed awesome. by Thomas's <laughs> English muffins. Uh, and let's just unofficially or officially uh, have him as the official snowplow driver of the Marty called podcast as well. Uh, as, a, as somebody that is, that is a fan of nooks and crannies. Ben, do you have any insight on the uh, lousy merchandise offerings? See, I think we're coming out of it a little bit. Call me crazy. I okay. I I feel Show your work. my well my last two trips I bought uh, Jungle Cruise shirts. There have like been a, a lot. Of, a, there's been a, a lot of Jungle Cruise stuff lately. Shr- a shrunken Ned shirts, and I buy. Uh, you know, there. I feel like we've gotten out of the dark period a little bit to where you know there there was that time period where just everything was generic with a whatever year it was date on that shirt, and that's all you mm-hmm. got. And every store carried the same thing. I feel on my last trip, there was more attraction-specific merchandise starting to show up. Uh, it might be small, it might be minimal, but at least it's a step in the right direction, I feel. That that we're starting to get out of that just uh, blanket, generic, year, you know, whatever year it is, merch that we... It seemed like that was all you saw for about 10 years. And, and exactly like you said, the, that kind of stuff was taking over shops uh, just to be in there, just to, the, you know, for point of sale anywhere. They were getting away from the theming from the shops. But uh, maybe it's something I need to pay a little bit more attention to next time in the parks to see if uh, I'm, I'm truly there. But I, I know I know in Adventureland, I'm sitting there looking at like two areas full of Jungle Cruise jackets and Jungle Cruise shirts and Jungle Cruise uh, toys and Jungle Cruise hats. And I'm like, this is awesome being a, you know, I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I used to be a skipper uh, at the Jungle Boat Ride. <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> well played. Uh, so uh, it, it definitely, I feel like it's coming out there a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if you got Bob Chapek, who is big into merchant you know merchandising this if anything if he could do anything right you would think this would be the area that he would have some expertise in and and figure out what kind well, of merch except, except that you he think. was running it during the time period where you said they were the worst so. yes <laughs> well look, he, i i feel he was doing it much more outside of the park so he was the one that you would see uh the the the, the i don't know the, the there was other areas outside of the parks that he had a lot more hand in, in trying to drive revenue with that kind of stuff. But he was doing like the Disney vault stuff. Vault and- stuff. Yeah. He was creative in some of those areas for sure. Uh, the one thing I will say though, on the box lunch side that 
you know, I have a box lunch about 10 minutes from my house that we go to pretty often. And I, that stuff is way better than, than what we see in the parks right now. But the, the one thing I love, and granted, these places are gone now, uh, but Box Lunch is doing what the Disney store should have been doing for the last 20 years. The stuff that's at Box Lunch is a million times. I can't tell you the last time I actually bought something at a Disney store for myself, whereas I go into Box Lunch and I'm like, uh, do I really need that shirt or uh, do I really need that? pop vinyl or do I need that? Uh, whatever. There's so many more things. The merchandise in that place is great. So whatever struck up that deal and, uh, made that go into effect and made that such a primary place to get your Disney merchandise. Now I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I want to circle back to something you said about the uh, Jungle Boat Ride toys, Um, (laughs) because most of the things that you mentioned were closed. And I think that's the area where Disney, I'll I'll be positive and I'll say has done the best merchandise. Forever shirts. (laughs) Uh, That's just the wound that keeps getting reopened. Um, (laughs) But from from a t-shirt standpoint, as somebody that lives in a t-shirt and jeans, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly their strength in the merchandising world, but were these toys, were they, were they crap or were they nice, would you say? And what were they, if you can paint us a word picture? Uh, if, you know, seven to like 14-year-old Ben saw it, he would definitely want it. 40-plus-year-old uh, Ben thinks, no, it's it's not on that level. But, okay. uh, you know, the the stuff that they had was definitely geared. To, I, mean, I did walk away with a really cute themed water bottle that I probably didn't need. But they got <laughs> me. I, I popped down 20 bucks to get it. And Our next contest is win a box of crap from Ben's basement. <laughs> now, <laughs> if you were to compare the merchandising effort of Disney to Universal, you know, with the wands and stuff, I think you'd have to conclude that they are coming up way short, right? And I know Disney certainly tried to follow in their footsteps with the robot building thing and the lightsaber, you know, but it's just doesn't. There's some good efforts in Galaxy's Edge. You can't dismiss I've, I've that. Got, but I've there? got a little R2 unit and a little BB-8 unit that is okay. high quality uh, and that okay. we play with. And so, yeah, no, there's – and I mean, if you've got the $200 to get the lightsaber, you walk away with a pretty cool item. Okay, but, so so maybe I was I misspoke yeah. then. It sounds like they are making they're just not doing it in the park that I want, but fair yeah. enough. I mean we we want the nostalgia based souvenirs that call to classic attractions. Yes. Yeah. For the most part. So Disney's gonna continue to appeal to the masses, which means less and less niche mer- merchandise unless you know where to look for it. So to to Ben's point about them doing better, Marketplace Co-op has Marketplace satisfied awesome. that yeah. that itch. There's at least uh, in the waning days of Mouse Gear, there was a section of Mouse Gear that had a lot of not necessarily toys, but had those T-shirts that, excuse me, um, focused on specific attractions. And I think. In recent years, there has been an effort to bring the Jungle Cruise merchandise line, not necessarily to the same level as Pirates and Haunted Mansion, but at least from an apparel standpoint, they've stepped up the game for Jungle Cruise as well with jackets and t-shirts. But from a toys after the attraction, there is not as much. But uh, what I would like to see Disney do is the equivalent of some of those Etsy-style products for the park. I mean, I've certainly bought stuff from some incredible Etsy uh, producers that is better than anything I bought in the parks. Uh, the yep. World Showcase torches are one that I've mentioned. Um, but because we're talking about a niche within a niche, 
I don't know if that means that you need a dedicated store with limited edition stuff and the end result is seven hour lines like you get for the figment popcorn buckets. But if that's it, then so be it. That's actually good advertising. Uh, we don't judge success by 10 hour lines, but at the same time, if it's to buy something, then they're probably happy about it. Um, you could also do these things as online yeah. order a, only. A lot of those scumbags don't have the financial means to buy 20 copies of something sure. that's two or 300 bucks. So that would help. But I, you also, I mean, I think people overlook things like, uh, you know, take like a Memento Murray, Mori, for example. Yeah. Like, if you're a Haunted Mansion fan, yeah, it's good. There's some pretty there's some awesome stuff in there. Stuff yeah. in there. Uh, that is some of that stuff's very much on the line of what you're you've been getting off of Etsy. Uh, yeah, oh, I agree. Some high quality stuff, and but so that's and one again, of fifty attractions. I'd pay four or five hundred bucks a pop for a three thousand piece Lego pavilion kit for each of the pavilions in, in Epcot. I oh, mean, that'd I'd, be awesome. I mean, why? Why? Is, how is that not a thing? I believe right now you can get the Main Street Railroad Station at the Lego store, and that's probably three four hundred dollars. Um, um, I mean, it's not the one I would want, but I mean, if, but if you're absolutely right. Like you could crank those out for 20 different facades and have buyers because you're, you've got cross uh, pollination between Lego fans and Disney fans. So, uh, all of that are great ideas. I would and totally buy a, a carousel of progress Lego set just so I could build it and then tear it down and put something else there. <laughs> would it just uh, be the exterior though? Gary is angrily writing a well-crafted email to you right now. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we did touch on merchandise on our Paper Cuts episode, so why don't we not spend too much time on here? Other than we, we agree, and if you don't uh, see that the merchandise is meeting your interest, but you still want to show that fandom, buy it elsewhere. Uh, buy the knockoff stuff that looks better. I mean, I know that's not really uh, uh, supporting Disney uh, in the most direct way, but at the same time, if there's something that you want to do that showcases your fandom in other ways, then do it. So... Um, that moves us away from the emailed questions, and we've got some great ones from Twitter as well. We may not get to all of these, but uh, we'll start with uh, the first one from Br'er Oswald. If you had to retheme one beloved headliner attraction to Disney's Encanto, what would it be? Uh, describe your idea for it. So, Josh, as a big fan of Disney <laughs> children musicals, uh, we'll skip you here. Thank but, you. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I had a pretty uh, uh, least well-thought-out answer, and I think, Ben, you did as well. So, Ben, why don't you kick us off with this one? Well, I had a pretty well-thought-out answer, and then it kind of changed halfway through the show. So, I kind of have two answers on this one now. Go for it. Um, but... I think I had put out there at one point that uh, jokingly saying retheme the Haunted Mansion to uh, Casa de Madrigal. Uh, I mean, that's the and- obvious candidate, Mansion or Tower of Terror. <laughs> I, like, I, I hate both of the ideas, but those are the obvious candidates. Well, I'm going to go way outside the box on this one and go okay. in a direction you probably don't think. But uh, so my initial thought was at some point they're going to get tired of running the Indiana Jones stunt show spectacular and a much okay. cheaper version of it could be a stage show. And that area, and the, especially if you were to retheme the set pieces and the way they divide out and move, you easily could do retheme the temple structure to the outside oh, cool. of Casa de Madrigal, and then it separates, and all of a sudden you're on the inside and uh, do a really cool theme set. And the, I mean, the movie is is great, but the music's fantastic. This is one of those that it's all built around the music. So, uh, <laughs> that was my kind of joking thing at first of thinking of redo indie and, uh, put this in over there. But at the same time, as I joked about getting rid of carousel of progress, I love that ride system and especially the way it moves around. And especially that ride, the, 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 the carousel itself is taking you, uh, you know, inside a home 
from scene to scene to scene. Not saying redo Carousel of Progress, but I'm saying you could do that kind of ride system, that kind of the, uh, rotating theater that moves around Casa de Madrigal and each scene takes you from one musical number from that movie to another one as you're going into the different rooms uh, that you see in the film. So I love Carousel and I would love to see what a modern day take on a Carousel attraction would look like and the technology that they would use, the auto animatronics they would use, the projection mapping that they would use inside there, the digital screens they would use. Uh, but using that same concept that we get from the carousel, I think would fit perfect for Encanto. So it obviously wouldn't fit into Tomorrowland, but I don't disagree no. with the concept of using that style rotating theater. Would there be, I mean, beyond Mansion or Tower of Terror, an attraction that you think could be replaced by this? Mission Space. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Like I, an Encanto ride would be perfect. Uh, well, I, I, I was gonna say, uh, let me circle back one deal. If, if okay. I wouldn't, the, I think the obvious answer here is a, a Columbia Pavilion in World Showcase and sure. building. That was the other deal that I put out on Twitter. Of uh, this is your Mystic Manor, uh, brought to you by Cocaine. Yep, but doing doing a a Columbia themed, you you finally get your South America representation in there. Sure, and you you redo the outside of Mystic Manor to look like Casa de Madrigal and you get inside there and it's a, you know, track, just what Disney needs, you know, it's about time they get their own trackless ride system uh, <laughs> attraction and uh, this would be perfect for it. And, but fitting that into World Showcase is honestly the biggest no-brainer uh, that they could do right now. I mean, the the movie is set in Colombia. I don't know that just because it is a fantasy story, there is much about Colombia other than the the setting that is really celebrated there. But uh, to that point, I think Encanto in, in general is perfect fodder for a black box attraction, um, black box attraction, black box theater that we've been pushing for. And whether it becomes something uh, as a permanent fixture over and above that would remain to be seen. But I don't think that from a replacement standpoint, I'm necessarily talking headliners here, but I think two options that wouldn't disrupt the surrounding theme and wouldn't upset too many people would be Rise of the gut, Resistance. Would be a gut of Star <laughs> Tours or a gut of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, and I think that you could do a basic version of an Encanto ride using the bus bar dark ride system with uh, you got projection mapping to change the scenes uh, have moderate animatronics in it uh, that in itself I think is a very doable thing if this explodes even more than it probably has already uh, it absolutely deserves a segment of Mickey's Philhar Magic I think that I hope they're working on right now um, I also don't think that it is that ridiculous uh, there are some themes and story beats and character powers that conceivably work into the Discovery Island section of Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, I mean, and, uh, the character Antonio can communicate with animals. Isabella creates plants. But the problem with focusing on the individual powers is that the underlying theme of the movie is family, not those powers or anything like that. So uh, that's where it would be out of place, the Animal Kingdom. But my choice to answer his question would be Star Tours. I think we're in a world in this movie where magic exists, so you can be pretty loose with the story anyway. 
and you retheme the exterior of the building to the house, have different story options where the vehicle goes through different doors in the house and we gain different magical powers. And it's kind of an extension of the story, not a book report, but also potentially using the Star Tours ride system to satisfy some of those magical adventures. So that will be my suggestion for an attraction that we've discussed in the past is maybe not necessarily much. It doesn't have much more than a decade left in all likelihood in its uh, useful life. So you just, you just dismissed my idea of Columbia world showcase. Cause Encanto doesn't really do much there, but you want to have C3PO flying a star speeder around the Casa de Madrigal. Yes. I'm going to keep it. C3PO there. <laughs> I actually, I, I don't think your uh, Indiana Jones idea is a bad one at all. And I think, honestly, if they announce that tomorrow, I think people would be thrilled. I yeah. think there is a very good approach to – this is a situation that we've looked at when they have a new hit movie, why they can't put a theater show in day and date. And yes, you don't necessarily know how successful a movie is going to be, but – when they've got a musical-driven movie with songs by Lin-Manuel Miranda, kind of had to have some level of anticipation. And you've got the Mermaid well, Theater that is currently not yeah. operating, yeah. the Beauty and the Beast show, which is 30 years old, and they just reopened the um, uh, Indiana Jones, but that's a, a theater they could use. They could use the Frozen Theater. There's a, yeah. a handful of different venues. They could use the Nemo Theater. And... I mean, any of those would be possible venues for it. So those are the types of things that I'd like to see. You've got a movie with the first number one single since Part of Your World. I'm sorry, not Part of Your World. Uh, uh, Daggummit. Uh, Let It Go? No, Aladdin. Uh, A Whole New World. Okay. The first number one since A Whole New World. Uh, the highest chart, it's, it's past Let It Go uh, on the charts, and it had three top ten singles uh, last week uh, in the in the top ten on the billboard. Yet they have not done anything with this like at all. Like it, it's it's literally become. I mean, it's a month old, so or two well, months old, whatever. It's it is, longer yeah. than a month old with the theater release. Obviously, it took off once yeah. it hit Disney Plus, uh, yeah. which which is going to tell you something. Also, the way they're going to plan their future releases because this thing got no buzz in the theater. It hits Disney Plus, and all of a sudden, it's a cultural phenomenon. Like the, yeah. that, Bruno. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno. Is is it is Let It Go. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, own whole new world. It's on that level uh, in popularity. And yes, nothing's been announced. Nothing's been planned. They got caught with their pants down again. Uh, it, but it'll be interesting once you know Frozen showed that popularity. How uh, they had to do it quickly afterwards. But then they you know did the sing along. They did the ride. You know what's what's the time frame going to be before we hear an announcement of Encanto going in the parks uh, in some way, some fashion? Under a year, it's inharmonious. That's what, my prediction. How long did it take Coco? Uh, I mean, Coco took three uh, years, four three years, or four years before it went into Philharmagic. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. um, I I don't hate the idea of Encanto finding its way into the parks in some way, shape, or form. I always just say you got to find an appropriate way to do it. So don't put it in Tomorrowland. Don't. Uh, uh, I don't know that it's really the best fit for Epcot. To be honest with you, um, I understand that putting a Columbia Pavilion in there is. I mean, it's, an no, easy, it's no different than Frozen Ever After in Norway. Uh, but just one poor excuse doesn't excuse another one. Well, <laughs> I, I think I, I think it's a Fantasyland thing, and that's where uh, I think Winnie the Pooh is a candidate. But anyway, um, let's Josh, go to your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to have to take you guys' word for this one. 
Josh just fell asleep. We don't uh, talk about Josh. No, no. I, I think this one is a little bit more in uh, in Josh's alley. So this comes to us from Uncommon Magic. What is one thing uh, one thing Disney is doing right now they could use to swing them in the right direction from a fan perspective? Also, will you do a Planet Coaster episode? Huh. Uh, Josh, when was the last time you played Planet Coaster? Uh, it's probably been about a year, but I, I really like and appreciate the game for what it is. I've watched videos of impressive works that people have done in it, but I just don't have the patience to do it at this point. Uh, that's the same problem. What I tend to do is I start out with very grandiose plans, and then I hit some hurdle where there's nothing wrong with the game, but I lack the skill to actually make yeah, what I want. Yeah, that's another big thing, where there are people that are just miles ahead of us. Yeah. So I think I got, I got w- suckered in by one where it was like a guy designs Little Mermaid roller coaster and Planet Coaster. It's like, oh, cool, I'll click on this and watch it. Started watching it for about 30 seconds, then look at the time at it. It's a nine and a half minute roller coaster. So I was like, no, I'm done. I'm out. Not realistic. Seems legit. <laughs> it's longer than most of the attractions in the park right now. Um, but but to the, his first question, what are what is Disney doing right right now that you think could be used as uh, currency for fans to, to get fans back in the right perspective towards the company? Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately – this is probably a psychological defect as much as anything, but my overall sense of the parks right now is, is really negative. So it's, it's really hard for me to answer this question with something specific. Um, other than what I will say is that despite how much I complain about individual things there, the majority of what is there is great. It still mm-hmm. is an awesome place. And I think this, I'm trying to not couch this in terms of something negative. If They're they can, spending money, it, we can give to, them that. If they will just not, it's almost what they need to not do. They okay. need to stop ripping the soul out of attractions. They need to stop putting things that are uh, not thematically correct into places. So, and I, I know that's negative, but if they just appreciate, if they continue to leave the things that are right alone, I think that will engender loyalty in the long run. Not- Jungle Cruise doesn't get its mention that often on our show, but Jungle Cruise is a good example of them doing something right while respecting the past of an attraction while bringing it into the future. I think Peter Pan was the same. I think the improvements there were good. I know it's your least favorite attraction, but the queue there is I mean, it was largely awesome. queue-based, but it was a great uh, update to the queue. But yeah, I mean, they have – what they need to keep doing, what they're doing right is that they do have very talented people there. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think all of them are, but um, <laughs> again, I, I'm having trouble with the purity of being positive here. But um, there is a lot of good there, and if they can just recognize that for what it is and do what they've been doing for most of their existence instead of what they've been doing lately, and I'm using sort of a long-tailed definition of lately there – uh, I think they they will succeed because they have the ability. That's kind of the tragedy of it is that this is not a lack of ability. It's a lack of willingness in a lot of ways to do what I think we want them to do. If we step aside from the parks, I think they are doing things correctly or, or doing things well. And there are components of Disney Plus that are very solid. The PG-13 level content of Marvel and Star Wars, those series are very solid that are on Disney Plus. And a lot of those are looking at fans and appreciating fans. And it's not all fan service as well, where uh, fans are expecting some things to go one way. And even though there's a pivot, it's still satisfying. Um, I also do think we are dismissing the investment of the parks in recent years. But that has to 
be well placed that investment it can't be yeah i mean throwing money at a problem without actually understanding what the problem is and that's been what we've seen as an issue with epcot where uh, i think we're collectively terrified at epcot's well josh and i are collectively terrified at epcot's direction yeah i love it but if love they continue to, to put money into it it has the potential to be improved but i think at the start of this when they first announced it Epcot, fixing Epcot was probably a two billion dollar problem, and I don't know that the that the way that they've spent money up to this point really makes that problem any less. Meaning that it's still probably a two billion dollar problem, even though between Ratatouille and soon to open Guardians of the Galaxy, that's six to seven hundred million dollars between those two attractions um i'm not sure that yes it's great that they're adding new things there or, or in the case of ratatouille adding something in the case of uh, guardians replacing something but i don't know that that's necessarily going to be enough to solve that park so if they continue to have budgets that are that size then in theory ultimately they get to the things that are really problematic with it they know that imagination is a problem they know that the seas are a problem but they were going for the bigger hits first so we shall see yeah i mean that's tough but i don't want to derail as much but i mean if you look at harmonious just as a a single example there's a situation where they consumed a significant portion of their budget and what they actually did was create an additional problem and take away something that was already fine so that that's i i almost feel like when they spend money and it's not done with tremendous care that's empowering them to do harm potentially so that's a double-edged sword there for sure do you have anything that you're looking at as positive ben that you'd use as a uh, thing to hang your hat on i was gonna say you know the one big positive over the last couple years was rise of the resistance and what i mean by that is what i mean by that is they thought big Mm -hmm. they they didn't go easy they went the hard route they went how do we create something that's never been seen before which is what disney used to do all the time um and it took the rise of Universal down the street to get their act together to start doing this again. But when they go big, it usually comes out pretty damn awesome. And it, yes, they are committing money. Excuse me. They're committing money. They're building stuff. But, you know, some of the stuff is great. Some of the stuff's not great. The uh, They love to preach the you know that they they have the benefit of all this land out there well why why every time they build something new they got to take something away you know we need more capacity in the park and that's rise of the resistance you know sure lights motors action used to be on that spot uh but i guess i guess that kind of kills my argument a little bit there but you know i mean they did take something away to put that in in that area but um it's For the just, six Lights Motors Action fans out there, we apologize, right, right, but this right, is right. So, uh, but it, it was just them thinking on a grand scale uh, to put something in like that to blow us all away because everybody that goes on it, they are blown away. I want to see that more often. If they do that more often, if they can, add, you know, that what what the studios needs is two or three more of those. Yeah. Uh, what Epcot needs is two or three of those. Maybe maybe Guardians is going to be that. I have I have huge hopes for that to come out and be awesome uh i I got my fingers crossed like crazy on that but uh, you know ratatouille as nice and cute as it is it's that's that's not what we're talking about in this instance it's the keeping up with the competition that's going down the road and trying to i love the one-upsmanship uh that we're kind of in at this point so 
we'll see what happens with these next couple. But if they keep continuing to build attractions that are on that level, then that's going to get people talking again. That's going to get people. That's what's going to drive people out there uh, to go to those parks. And more than a celebration, more than a fireworks show, more than anything else, it's those one of a kind experiences to where you come home and you tell your friends like you won't believe what I just did. You've got to go there and do this. We've said on this show ahead of Rise of the Resistance opening that our expectations on it, We people asked how high are our expectations, and it was it needs to open as the best attraction in the world. Yeah. And yep. while there may be debates about which one is a personal favorite, it is 100% in that conversation. Yep. And anybody that is saying that it is not a top five attraction in the world, for the most part, you can dismiss that person. I'm sure there are, there are detractors to it, but the reality is it, it lived up to what our expectations of that attraction were, if not exceeded it. So bang up job there. And that should not be dismissed at all. But next question we're going to address, but it's probably a future show topic comes to us from the Florida Tarv at Tarv the couldn't get at the Florida Tarve, I guess. Realistically, <laughs> will Disney ever build a fifth gate? If so, what do you believe to be an overarching theme What is uh, that has not been done in the world? I always thought a park with lands themes to genres of eras of music could have big potential and even implement IP. Uh, that is why Hard Rock uh, Park did so well. <laughs> Well, I think a lot that, of had, that there. was there was so many mismanagement <laughs> components to it. Yeah. But uh, I mean, looking at it, I I don't dislike the idea. The problem I see with a, a music based theme is the most obvious way to represent that theme is music mixed to play in sync with a roller coaster, and that has been done. Uh, but there are, I mean, by all means, are we are we are by no means the only creatives that can come up with music based attractions. But um, I think. I do think it is uh, reasonable to say that at some point in the future, Disney will build a fifth gate. Uh, if that happens before 2040, that would be a little bit less. Uh, yeah. I think I think they're more likely to build one in California first. Yeah. I think California is substantially more likely. And on the heels of their troubles building in Shanghai, I think they are probably more inclined to, if they're going to build a new park, it would be domestic or as part of an existing resort. So I think... Uh, if I was to discount it, I would say Tokyo is a leader in the clubhouse, then California, and then probably Florida. I don't think uh, there's a, a, there's a to- desire there's to-, to build them in China or Hong Kong or Europe. Tokyo really count in this uh, conversation, though? What do you mean? I mean, it's not really the Disney's company's choice on that, is it? Uh, I mean, no, but they would have a, some say in it. So Yeah, but if the others just come up and here's our budget, we want to build it, you guys build it for us, and this is what we want. That's how yeah. that's how that park gets built. Whereas, you know, it's not Bob Chapek sitting down going, where's my next theme park going to be built? Yeah, I mean, they're putting a ton of money into Disney Sea right now. They yeah. just kind of finished a big uh, addition. But again, or- to- the, the Oriental Land Company is doing that. Right, exactly, exactly. Disney doing it. So they're, the, you know. So I, I think that's a future show topic, though. I think of uh, each of us coming up with a fifth gate where we could have – I mean, we can explore it where we need an overarching theme, uh, perhaps even like a dedication plaque that we come up with. Yeah. And then a handful of attractions that uh, satisfy that theme would be a yeah. great show. And we can look at that some point in the future. I, I love that idea. Um, I will say to give him some little brief answer right here, I do think one comes at some point, but it's not under this – regime. Yeah, I think that's very true. I, I think the people that are in power right now have no desire to build another theme park. I think when this regime goes, 
depending on who the next person that comes in and that that's going to be the one that wants to do it. And, you know, Eisner was the same way, like part of his legacy are the parks that he built. And that's, that's what's going to take, that's what it's going to take to get that next park built in Florida. In my opinion is that next person that comes in and he wants to cement himself as uh, he or she wants to cement themselves as, you know, that's, that's what I made. That's what I built. And I don't think Chapek is, he does not care about that whatsoever. So until he's gone, right. th- this isn't even a discussion to be had. Yeah, I will uh, just weigh in and say I agree with my co-host. I think on an infinite time scale, there's no doubt in my mind there'll be a fifth gate. Um, and I would love to spend a whole show talking about where it might go and what it might be. Yeah, I think we need to put $2 billion into Epcot first and probably uh, uh, more money in the other parks as well. But uh, next question comes to us from Brian A. Uh, when will it stop being Schmerz Day? Uh, I believe the Not answer today. to that is in, in March is when it's going to be stopping Schmerz Day. We Dig Parks asks, does Disney see Universal as a real threat or just an annoyance? Uh, Josh, you want to take this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I this obviously, I don't – Disney is not a person. It's a whole lot of people. So I suspect that Say within that, that – <laughs> well, Disney was a person. Why are you I guess. crapping on Walt's <laughs> legacy? I, I'm sure that there's a you know a lot of different viewpoints as to what Universal is with respect to Disney. Hmm. Uh, you know, within the organization, I think certainly they are not stupid. Even though I disagree with a lot of what they do, they're aware of Universal. And I think, by the way, as I mentioned earlier, you've seen Disney respond to significant offerings that Universal has added you have to admit that at least Disney recognizes them as being something that could, if they don't view them as a direct threat now, and I don't really know what that means exactly. I mean, I understand the question, but um, certainly Disney recognizes that when people travel, you know, thousands of miles to Orlando and there's, you know, a similar type of offering that's 12 miles away that is geared toward addressing a lot of the same market. Um, Certainly, they're aware of that, and their you know capital investments have have reflected that. Um, you know, maybe they're not doing enough. You could argue, but um, <laughs> that's you know more of an opinion than a direct answer, I guess. Uh, so I, I put some thought into this one. Uh, I want to call attention to that Bruce Vaughn comment at the 2013 D23 Expo, where when he was asked about Harry Potter and the competition down the street, he said, "Bring it on." Bruce now works at Airbnb and was photoshopped out of the Pandora groundbreaking photo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there well, is a, they I don't know if that him. was, I mean, I don't know if that was showmanship. It probably was. But, of course. Uh, if Disney doesn't view Universal as a threat, then they're delusional. Yeah. While they may subscribe to the rising tide lifts all boats thought process, they've certainly lost market share as a percentage of that rising tide. Uh, and that can't be a trend that they're happy with. So uh, I'm not going to pretend that Universal's flawless or bulletproof. They're, they're definitely not, but uh, they're, they're being more aggressive because they do have to play catch up. And ultimately, they will catch up if the current trends stay as yeah. they are. Yeah, that's as I was trying to answer, I had these two line, you know, a line graph with them, you know, their meteoric rise of Universal plotted there. And it's just hard to put into words, but I agree with you completely. Right. So, uh, I mean, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. I was going to say, I'm a person who's had many times in my life gone to Disney World multiple times a year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was back when I could actually buy a annual pass, uh, which is another <laughs> topic that Disney just makes making vacations there so insanely difficult. But, uh, you know, going back to what we talked about the first of the show, I, we easily could have gone to Disney for 
three, four days uh, on this trip in March. And guess where we're going? Yeah. So I added Ben canceled the cruise to go to Universal. So that's yeah. – uh, but that that is a another fantastic point here because uh, I'm going to tie back to my business school uh, education that if it taught me anything is you can't just look at the obvious competitors here that uh, – going to use an example that's outside of this industry. But I remember that as one of my classes, we met with an executive that oversaw production of Fruituo, the flavored water company. And I believe at the time and it was owned by Very Fine. And we erroneously assumed that the direct competition for Fruituo was – other flavored water. And he said, no, it's things like diet soda and crystal light packets. Basically anything that's a zero calorie, full flavored beverage is my competition. Uh, Similarly, I had the opportunity to shadow the general manager of the Durham Bulls for a day, uh, the AAA affiliate of the Rays. And uh, the role of a GM of a minor league team is largely sales and advertising and marketing. And he pointedly told me that his competition wasn't college sports or other local sports teams, but movie theaters and malls yep. and other entertainment that's under $20. So Disney can't just look at the their neighbor as their competition here. You've got a Disney vacation that's five, six, ten thousand $10,000. You got to look at other vacations that a family could take for $10,000, whether that's a cruise, whether that's another destination. I mean, I'm in the camp that my vacations have to include a theme park or a baseball stadium, but I'm fairly certain most people don't operate that way. And if a Disney vacation becomes too cost prohibitive, people are just going to find other vacation options. For the average park guest, they're not saying, I need to go to a theme park on every vacation. And if I've got $10,000, it's my vacation fund. There is an infinite number of places they can go to. That's Disney's competition, not just Universal. Vegas, so Universal I mean, is there's a, a lot of options yeah, out there. Yeah. But I mean, th- to that point, Ben looked at his options. Uh, and I don't know what your budget was for that cruise, but let's say it was $5,000. You have a, po- a pool of $5,000 for the entire family to go. That's probably low for uh, however many people are going, but hypothetically, it's $5,000. What can you do for that $5,000? Cruising is off the table because of COVID, but you could go to Vegas with the family. Um, Vegas, people have perceived as a uh, not not necessarily a family-friendly thing, but there are shows in Vegas that absolutely mm-hmm. would cater to children. Um, I think the Bunny Ranch is also – I mean, kids love mm-hmm. bunnies, so that's absolutely – candidate. Uh, but Ben's family chose to go to Universal in lieu of that cruise. But the exact opposite could have also been true two years from now, where you had a trip planned to Disney and said, hey, you know what? We're not feeling it. Let's go on a Norwegian cruise to the Caribbean. You know, Well, that's the problem they're seeing. I mean, they're, they're, getting, they're starting to price themselves into that direction right. without giving the, you know, the quality that goes along with it. <laughs> Your money goes so much farther on so many different places outside of Disney right now, and it's not going in a direction where that's going to get any better anytime soon. So, Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one comes to us from Backside underscore Water. He asks, when will you guys finally kick Josh off the show? Yeah, when? Uh, Schmerz Day, actually. Schmerz Day, okay. Next Schmart, Schmart. <laughs> yes. Uh, would- next... Ben Josh, you didn't, response? Yeah, Ben didn't read the fine print when he joined. He has a non-voting uh, interest <laughs> on the show, so he's powerless. Hey, the person that didn't make the top five list of favorite Marty co-hosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start a show with Gary. Uh, it'll be Marty's answering machine. Uh, next one, uh, Kay Thompson asks, if by some miracle Bob Chapek was fired today, who would you have replace him? Uh, so we've, we've talked about this to a certain extent. I think in late 2019, early 2020, 
I truly believe it was down to Kevin Mayer and Bob Chapek. Um, I think a case very well may have been made for Alan Horn as well, but he's in his 70s, so it's probably not. I'm guessing it was those two guys. Uh, once Tom Staggs was basically told no, uh, they started looking at other people, and it had to just be those two candidates. I don't know who else it would have been. Um, but I also think that if Chapek is regarded by the board as a poor leader, uh, the current leader in the clubhouse to replace him is probably not anybody we've heard of because it's not Kevin Mayer. He's not with the company anymore. And yes, they could bring him back. But um, I don't know if you guys had any insight. There's certainly creatives, but I don't I, know that there's any executives. I, that- I think the answer here is not to Answering this question too quickly, I think, is what got us into this mess in the first place. <laughs> very, very possible. So, so um, you know, I think l- – let me answer a slightly different question, which is that <laughs> I hope what Disney is doing right now is going back to their roots with Disney University and the surprise that they had when Walt was diagnosed with cancer and understanding that they need to be doing a better job of uh, cultivating, you know, a deep bench of – uh, there needs to be a succession plan there at all times. It can't just be that you install a new guy and he ends up not working out because there, if, if Chapek had worked out and everybody loved him, he was great. He could die of a heart attack tomorrow, get hit by lightning or hit by a bus. I mean, I'm not trying to jinx the guy, but you know, you don't ever know that you aren't going right. to immediately need to replace the person at the top. So when you're an organization as big as Disney, one of the things you really have to be doing is figuring out not just who the person is, that's not really the first question you have to be asking. I think the first question you have to be asking is, what are the attributes of the person who should be leading the Walt Disney Company? Because once you have – it's like a mission statement. You were talking about the plaque in front of our fifth gate. The the reason those are valuable is because it gives you something to hold up and then look at potential candidates and say, this is this person is either a fit or they're not. Of course, there's an unknown and you never really know until they're in there. Um, But I don't think that was there. Despite how long Iger was there, it just doesn't seem to me that they they didn't have a they might have had a system, but it doesn't seem as though it was very effective. I, I will say right. that this, this turnover of power has been horrific. I'd like to see them have a chief creative officer and a CEO, somebody that is dubbed a creative and uh. the, the the highest level of creative, but not the CEO. I got Ben, one. you're going to say something? Go ahead. Well, my CEO is I'm going to money whip a guy who already runs a company that has uh, a streaming platform, which is uh, very important to know how to manage one of those with the uh, with the Disney company. Uh, you know, he's in the entertainment business. He also has uh, a parks division, both domestically and uh, worldwide that from what I understand in the last uh, earnings call last week, what they just turned in their most profitable quarter in company history on the theme parks division. I'm going over to Comcast and I'm still in <laughs> okay. Brian Roberts. I don't know anything about him, but sure. Why not? Uh, he's, he's running the competition. The competition seems to be doing really well, especially in the area that we all care about. Uh, you know, we were talking about Epic Universe where he's like, we're investing, we're going, we're opening in 2025. We are full steam ahead based on the success that they've had in the parks uh, recently, you know, during a pan- freaking pandemic for, for crying out loud. Uh, that's that's who I would go try to steal to run my company. The creative side, I, I'm made a comment about this on Twitter that, that got a pretty good discussion going on, but uh, I would love to see, you know, maybe he is the chief uh, creative officer, but also put him in charge of the parks, put you know, and I'm fine with doing a two man team. I would, I would go over and I would get Kevin Feige 
yeah, away from not? the Marvel side, and that's my new chief creative officer for the entire company. That guy is just tuned in uh, and zipped in. I would I would go and get John Favreau as all as well and put him in charge of the parks. That I think guy, you've it, got stability with the Marvel hierarchy. Where yep. not not to say like Kevin Feige is probably the most indispensable person at Disney right now. Yep. From a creative standpoint, uh, he is managing their cash cow. But at the same time, uh, you look at the hierarchy of Marvel with Louis Di- Louis uh, is it Louis or Lou uh, D'Esposito and Victoria Alonso, yeah, who yeah. are basically executive producers on everything. And while they may not necessarily have the public facing cachet as Kevin Feige are right up there with him, and I don't know that anybody speaks ill of them, um, other than perhaps uh, devout comic book nerds, and then John <laughs> Favreau's right in that fold as well. Yep. So you have a creative hierarchy there to draw from that was previously like the Pixar hierarchy, where they had uh, uh, with John Lasseter at the helm. Yep. I have made a similar statement about John Lasseter back pre-Me um, Too days, where he was the most indispensable person, but uh, they did have other leadership step up there, and you could certainly make a case that Pixar has taken a step back since Lasseter has left, but uh, they still have a strong creative team. Yep. But, uh, I mean, giving Kevin Feige more control than he already has is a good thing in my mind. I, I would, I mean, I want two guys who just are passionate about the stuff that we're all passionate about that are mm-hmm. in charge of the creative side. Kevin Feige has made extremely few bad decisions over the last 10 years when it comes right. to the Marvel side uh, and the dollars just prove it. And the, and the quality of the content that's come out, prove it. Uh, look what Favreau has done with star Wars. Yep. The guy just and the reason he's done so well with star Wars is because he loves star Wars. Right. He cares about what is being put out there. He knows what the fans want. He's making the right decisions. Well, guess what? That guy loves the theme parks as much, if not more than he does star Wars. Feige's a huge theme parks fan as well. Put them in spots where they're, even if they're just the voice of reason, They, I feel like we don't have a whole lot of that in the parts of the company that make the major decisions right now. And I would love to see those two. They, they have done more than enough to prove that they could be major, major players in this company for the rest of their careers if they want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anything else on the future CEO? Oh, and if if not Jeremy Brian Pivot. Roberts, I was going to say, if not <laughs> Brian Roberts from Comcast, I would go with uh, the Sultan of Saki. If uh, Brian Roberts from Comcast is unavailable, would former Orioles second baseman Brian Roberts suffice? Ooh, Tom Brady. He's available. Ooh, He's available. Tom yeah. Brady, TB12. Put Gronk in creative. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to solve all of the uh, plant-based food crap that a lot of people are asking. <laughs> we'll be eating seaweed instead of hamburgers. I would anyway. like Bra- I'd like Brady in charge of Disney because he would ignore people from New England and probably not let them visit the parks anymore. Very like, likely. They just don't yes. exist. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth Gate, Mass Hole Land. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nothing but Dunkin' Donuts, CVS's, and Citizens Bank with an eyesight. Uh, all right. Uh, last question of the show comes to us from Michael Wolf. Uh, no relation to Dick Wolf of Dick Wolf Productions. Uh, what would have the 50th been like had COVID never happened? <laughs> I think it would be the openings and planning of 2020 to 2023 condensed into a shorter timetable. I think yeah. that's what it would have been. I think we're just seeing it stretched out is really I, what I, I think we'd be riding Tron this summer. We'd yeah, already, if it wasn't on, already, we'd open, already be on guardians. Yeah. Uh, is that tiger. I like this guy's uh, Twitter handles. Tiger law. Is he a, is he a lawyer that is like represents tigers or is he a tiger that is a lawyer? That's what I want to know. He is, uh, 
he's been very uh, vocal trying to get Tiger King uh, out of prison. He's been asking for pardons. <laughs> That's good. He's been pushing. He's been pushing uh, the previous administration as well as the current administration to get uh, a pardon for. Uh, uh, if, Tiger King, if so. you want to donate to that cause, you can go to <laughs> fuckcarolbaskin.org, which is uh, up and running right now. That's with, how many O's for org? Is it O-O? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think things would have been much more stable for the 50th because I think Bob Iger would li- would have left after the 50th. Um, Probably, yeah. I still remember standing in my office because you got to remember during – the time that he left was during the transition where my company was actually – bought by Disney and being sold by Disney. So we were pretty zoned in on what was going on. And when the, I was standing outside my finance director's office, when the news broke that Iger just stepped down and that's when the coronavirus stuff was starting to buzz. This was, it was a, I'm sorry. The way he backed out the first time was incredibly shady. There's a you know, no, there's a lot of people like, that knew what was coming, and he it's was like getting out on Delta before. Airlines and having the pilot walk down the aisle with a parachute yep. strapped yep. on. <laughs> he knew, he knew, and he was getting out. Oh, I'm out of here. Yep. And so, <laughs> if coronavirus never happened, I honestly think Iger Swanson would be right after the 50th ended. He would have stayed through then, and so it would have just it would have led to a lot more stability and a lot less Chapek talk over the last two years. Let's yeah. uh, let's play it out exactly how it would have done. So he would have stuck around until, as you said, probably even the kickoff of the of the fiftieth. He may have left uh, in a similar timetable because he left in what February of twenty. Uh, although it took him a twenty two months to actually leave. Yep. I think we have the announced Epcot changes that hap- that were announced in twenty nineteen. I think more or less anything that was announced would probably already be open now. Yeah. Uh, or at least close close to open within the next six months. So yep. that would be uh, uh, Guardians, Journey of Water, the tabletop thing, Play Pavilion, all of that. Uh, Spaceship Earth redo. Uh, Spaceship Earth would be closed right now. Um, so all of that would be very much in the fold. And the 2021 D23 Expo, because that's when it would have been, probably would have announced Imagination and Brazil. That's, I think, what would have happened. And those were things that people were expecting in 2019 and assuming that the parks continued to uh, have a slow and steady rise and people reacted positive, positively to Rise of the Resistance and it didn't open two months before a pandemic shut the world down. All of that would have changed drastically and investments into the park very well would have been more uh, aggressive. So I think the likeliest scenario was we would have already had an announcement for Brazil. That's probably not going to happen at all. And imagination, which very well may happen in the next we, we, we said it before, and you just summed it up very nicely. Epcot took it on the chin on this yeah. whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it, Epcot was in the most vulnerable position it could have been in, and it's uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see whatever happens there. You you yeah. paid nine hundred dollars for D twenty three tickets, thinking tomorrow's going to say Brazil's coming, when all he's going to say is corn dogs are back. We're gonna get the uh, we're, we're gonna get Mickey's Philhar Magic is adding Encanto, and that's the announcement. We're gonna have more Figment popcorn buckets, people. <laughs> you are the magic, and you are the magic, and you are the magic, and parking lot trams are coming to Hollywood Studios, not Animal Kingdom. <laughs> nope. All right, that should do this. Uh, that should uh, wrap the show. If you have any questions that, or topic ideas, it. okay, I, that's a. To- I'm throwing the topic idea out right now. We're we're going to come up with the bad Josh tomorrow announcements at D23 Expo. We're going to do our pre- that'll be our predictions, and then after you go, come back. We'll we'll see who was right and who was wrong. Am I the only one that thought he held that lightsaber in a very 
like oh, it was very weird, unbelievably very, awkward, cautious manner. Very delicate. Yeah, that looked like Josh. That would have been so much more interesting. You know what that can do to you? Let's give the man <laughs> Good some point. credit. Yeah. All right, I'm best. not going to make fun of him for using due care. <laughs> the best part is where he makes it extend, and then he's like, "Somebody come get this because it doesn't go back down." <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, you know, if it stays that way for four hours, <laughs> you, you have to call your hours. doctor. <laughs> All right. If you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalledgmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled. Join in the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate link over on martycalled.com. President's Day is coming up, and Amazon.com has 340 listings for Millard Fillmore. If you're looking to increase your knowledge on the 1850 compromise, you can do so by starting your purchase through the Amazon affiliate link on martycalled.com. doesn't cost you a penny more, but helps us out with purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at backside underscore water, where you'll see fantastic questions like, when is Josh going to get kicked off the show uh, on that feed from time to time? And you can read my top 10 column in every issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, same question. Utilidors.com. How many O's? Uh, as many as you want. Okay, got it. And you can find me, WDWThemeParks.com, at WDWThemeParks on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Give it a good suck. But I won't do that. Some nights you're breathing fire 
Some nights you're talking nice Some nights you're not like nothing I've never seen before will again And maybe I'm crazy Oh, it's crazy and it's true And though you can save me No one else can save me now but you As long as the planets are turning As long as the stars are burning as long as your dreams are coming true You better believe it And I would do anything for Tim Oh, I would do anything for Tim I would do anything for Tim But I won't do Josh No, 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 I won't do Josh I would do anything for Tim I cheer for the Josh! I hate you both equally.